Do you like exclusive stuff? Yes, yes sir. sir. Do you like having access to your favourite podcast hosts in a way like never before? Yeah, absolutely. Do you wish you had access to our old Survivor Oz episodes that you can't find anywhere else online? Oh, yeah. If you answered yes to one, two or all of those questions, then get excited because the Oz Network is now on Patreon. <laughs> That's right, your favourite podcast has jumped on the Patreon bandwagon to enable a better listening experience for you, our listener. For more details, simply head to www.patreon.com forward slash oznetwork where you can sign up for as little as $3 a month. It'll be the best decision you make since that last bad one you made. You're listening to the Oz Movies Podcast, only on the Oz Network. It is the Oz Network coming to you for the last time ever. That's it. We're done. We've we've (laughs) done all the movies. We've done all the TV shows. Oh, we're finally done. Uh, We've gotten to Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. And we're it. That's done. That's the last movie ever. It's the last movie of the month for Indiana Jones Month in the lead up. To Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, we are doing the last time there was a new Indiana Jones movie, Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, 2008. That movie that everybody goes, boo, nuke the fridge, boo, gophers, boo, monkeys, boo, aliens, boo, urns. But is it a movie that's that bad? I'm going to say no, it really isn't because it really kind of just fits in with the other three if you really analyse it the same way. Maybe just a bit more special effects and gophers and aliens and nuclear bombs. But hey, we're here for a fun time because Alan Dale's in this movie and that's all I'm here for. My name is Ben and running for your life from Shia LaBeouf. He's brandishing a knife. It's Shia LaBeouf looking in the shadows. Hollywood superstar Shia LaBeouf. I pretty much knew you were going to use that. That <laughs> too. It's the first ever Shia LaBeouf movie. Got to sing it. <laughs> Sorry to take a step down then, but uh, my name is Colin and I like Ike. Oh, that was like my third backup, which I don't, again, I don't need a backup line because I'm the host. Um, I'm the host now. <laughs> Look at me. Look at me. I'm the host now. Um, yeah. The second time I've ever seen this movie, I, I've seen it multiple times in wow. this month. I saw it at the movies and for whatever reason, I never saw it again. And I didn't dislike this movie. I think when I saw it, I maybe was a bit like, huh, aliens. Hmm. Okay, Cool. I wasn't like, alien, Spielberg, you bastard. This isn't my Indiana Jones. What are you talking about? And all I heard subsequently over the years is, aliens, nuke the fridge, gophers, how stupid. Even our good friend Jimmy, former Ozlet on Survivor Oz, when I told him we were doing this month, he's like, oh, are you doing the fourth one? That was stupid because it had aliens in it. (laughs) As I've said for the last three weeks, we had... Hearts being ripped out of chests and people being alone. We had ghosts. We had spirits. We had ageless knights stuck in a tomb forever. But Aliens is too far? Okay. This movie is enjoyable. It's not the best Indiana Jones movie, but it's still very enjoyable. It's a breeze. Like, it kind of holds up. It was a lot better than I was expecting it to be. And it's as silly and as fun as the other three. So, everyone who criticised this movie, shut up. Yeah, I, I can very distinctly remember seeing this opening night and I uh, went with a group of people and afterwards um, uh, there was so I didn't know who they were but there were a couple people that one of our friends knew and they were talking about the movie and they were immediately complaining about oh aliens aliens this is so stupid and I still remember being like 
Yeah, but like, what is different between this movie and Temple of Doom? I mean, I, I think that's kind of the, the benchmark everybody has is like Raiders and Last Crusade and then Temple of Doom and King of the Crystal Skull. Hmm. And for whatever reason, Temple of Doom just gets a free pass from people. You know, it was definitely more criticized back in the 80s and maybe even the 90s, everything up to King of the Crystal Skull. But because people grew up on it's very much like the Star Wars prequels that we went through, you know, when we were growing up. People criticize the Star Wars prequels, even though there's nothing different from those in, say, Return of the Jedi or A New Hope, you know, mm. even a lot of parts Empire Strikes Back. Uh, and Temple of Doom specifically has a man's heart being ripped out of his chest and then it's sealing. Uh, it has Indiana Jones wielding magic to make stones burn a man's hand. It has a voodoo doll. Like... It has a voodoo doll. <laughs> and, and that's part of the new trailer. The new trailer for Indy literally has me. I, I've been tortured with voodoo. I've been shot nine times. Like They're addressing this. This movie's not that far-fetched just because it has aliens. Uh, and I think that it's more so an example of the people just forget. I grew up on this, so yeah. I accepted it as a child. And now that I'm an adult, it's somehow unacceptable. But yes, there are some problems with this movie. And I was even going over this with Jamie, uh, the end of the movie specifically. To me, it's not an issue with you have aliens in this movie. It's how you maybe show the aliens at the end, how you work them into the end. And particularly just a couple of shots that just look really dumb where I feel like like Temple of Doom, you've robbed some of the mystery from Indy by explaining too much on the end. Uh, but outside of that, gophers nuking the fridge, those are minor moments in a movie. And if that's all people have to complain about, you've clearly ignored the other hour and 55 minutes of this movie where it doesn't even address aliens or fridges or nukes or gophers yeah and i 100 percent agree and like there are issues in the movie i mean I, I said to you off air and we famously say that and obviously people listening to this are going to see how long this episode goes for but like I, I said this shouldn't go for long because to me this is almost a two-hour action sequence this movie just doesn't stop it's just action after action after action after action and that's just what to me why it breezes by there's barely any plot to this film there's barely any character development it's just you know, boonies. I mean, Shia LaBeouf shouldn't be in this. What's he in this movie for? Cool, Indy, you got a son. Cool, right, cool. Let's move on. Let's get him on there. Brandishing a knife from Shia LaBeouf. There he is. <laughs> Hanging with monkeys. Um, Like, that's kind of all it is, you know. And, like, basically everybody else in this movie. Karen Allen's back. Did you know that? There she is. Cool. Okay, John Hurt's a zombie for half of this film. Great, cool. Uh, awesome. Jim Broadbent. Yeah, exactly. They're just there. Not, like, I mean, not Marcus Brody. Even, even Kate Blanchett is sort of just there. And, you know, this is one of maybe two movies I like Kate Blanchett in. But... I think it's just, yeah, it, it's a, it's annoying that it gets criticism. And I also think the one that always kind of annoys me is, oh, special effects, like the monkey scene, all that sort of stuff. We watch, when we watch the first three movies, again, it's that childhood sort of armor that cannot be, you know, oh, this is fine. You watch any special effects from the 80s and some of them don't hold up, but it's fine because that like was... Like Temple of Doom. Yeah, that's the 80s. That's okay. Why do some movies from, like, the 2000s with CGI get, oh, that's disgusting. Like, it's mm -hmm. the time, it's what they got. When we first saw this and other movies from that period, we thought, oh, this is pretty good. Maybe not Die Another Day yeah. in some of the scenes. But, like, still, like, you, you saw what they were trying to do. Just like you mm -hmm. saw what they were trying to do in the 80s. So it's all well and good in hindsight to look back and go, that looks shit. Nothing can always be Jurassic Park and hold up and be ahead of its time or Star Wars or these sort of movies. So I, I just, I feel very defensive of a film that I've only seen twice all of a sudden because you're right, it is very prequel-esque, you know, and it's, I mean, we'll talk about, obviously, I remember when this movie came out and the excitement and everything and kind of that disappointment, which was similar to what the prequels were. 
And I'm so intrigued to see what's going to happen with Dial of Destiny because it's just going to be like The Force Awakens. Like, The Force Awakens comes out. Everyone's like, wow, the prequels get fucked. Finally, we've got our Star Wars movie we've been waiting for. And now in hindsight, like eight years later, we're like, Force Awakens. Hmm. Yeah. That was okay. (laughs) So, I don't know. I feel like I'm going to be in a very ranty mood this episode. But I think... Before, if you've got anything to add to that, I just say that, like, I remember vividly 2008 when this came out, like, the excitement around this. It was, this is obviously the biggest gap between indie movies because even now, Dial of Destiny, it's, what, 15 years after this. So this was 19 years after Last Crusade. So a bigger gap that we'll see. And let's be honest, unless Harrison Ford's doing a movie in 20 years' time when he's about 100, um, this will be the biggest gap we probably will ever get between an Indiana Jones movie, at least with Harrison Ford in it. So there was a lot of excitement. We talked about 2008 being a pretty bumper year. And if you look at kind of 2008, it's a big turning point for movies, if you think about it, because Iron Man obviously came out in 2008. That kind of set the groundwork for what we got now with this whole MCU and interconnected films. The Dark Knight came out, which kind of obviously set a bit of a standard for superhero movies and blockbusters and what they can be as well. And then you kind of had this come out at the same time, which was sort of a legacy sequel, which... We'd had legacy sequels at that point. It's not like we hadn't had them. But I feel this kind of started a bit of a trend that finally we got a lot more of these moving forward at this point. You know, we'd had them. But I, I felt like there was a groundswell. Like we had a Tron movie, you know. We had like freaking more Terminator movies come out. You, you know, all these ones that would sort of come out in subsequent years that just sort of, oh, cool, let's let's do this. Because obviously, despite the critical, uh, maybe not acclaim for this film, it did do very well at the box office. So... I think 2008 is an important year for movies. I remember this coming out. I saw it once. I think I'm pretty sure I would have seen an opening day like you. Um, didn't know you back then, obviously, but uh, I saw it by myself at a cinema in Glenorchy in Tasmania. Um, I didn't dress up in a fedora or anything. I seem to remember there wasn't that many people in the cinema. I don't know why I seem to remember that from 15 years ago. But um, yeah, that's my history with this film and my opinions. Ben rant over. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, I was there opening day. This is a uh, it's a fond memory for me because this was uh, the last of the midnight screenings, which isn't really a thing anymore because now everybody's transitioned to oh, a, a movie opens the day before the release date. So, Dial of Destiny, I've got my tickets not for June thirtieth, but for the evening of June twenty ninth, and and I kind of miss during this era, you know, 2008, uh, I think it really started with like the Phantom Menace, and then up to around here where you would have the movie literally open at midnight or it was it, it, they'd often average at 12.01 a.m. And that was the excitement is you get to go and it, that shows the commitment. And it was a completely sold out uh, theater that I was in. And um, uh, and just my reaction was I enjoyed this movie. I Again, if you're not going in expecting you're going to get the exact same thing as Raiders and Last Crusade, which George Lucas, Steven Spielberg, and now Harrison Ford have all been on record as saying Indiana Jones was never meant to be the same movie again. You know, Last Crusade, it was because it was the last film and because Spielberg specifically wanted to really live up to the first. And nobody had mastered sequels at that point. Nobody had figured out how do you do a trilogy. So they went out of their way to make it like Raiders of the Lost Ark, but nobody intended it to be that way. And I I kind of understood that going in and I enjoyed this for what it was. Um, Just a couple of things to touch on before we get in the movie, just on the build of this because it was 19 years last crusade was supposed to be the final film when when lucas and spielberg first started discussing the first thing george lucas said to him was like all right well if you do this movie i'm talking about on day one where it's like that you want james bond i got something better uh you have to sign up for three because i want to do a trilogy and they ended the last crusade and assumed that would be it 
I mean, George Lucas did uh, uh, Young Indiana Jones after that, which I guess just to briefly touch on that, because that was the only Indiana Jones content for a while. Uh, that was a, a really a TV show, again, ahead of, I, I think so far ahead of his time that you still couldn't do it to this day. We're still not caught up to what George Lucas intended for that show. Young Indiana Jones was, it probably still is, the most ambitious TV show ever made. And I, I think there's a lot of, I'm not going to say false information, but like false theories about why that show failed after only two seasons. So if you really go back and analyze the release dates of the episodes, I think it leads a lot of people to believe that this was a show that, oh, the ratings weren't good, so they pulled it from the schedule for a few months, and then they they dumped it back after the season, like the May sweeps were over, and then there are episodes that were not unaired. And really what it came down to is that George Lucas intended from the beginning young indiana jones was not going to cheap out and be a tv show they were going to make these mini movies uh so much so that like an average tv show it takes about 10 days to film and an average indiana jones episode took three to four weeks to film so season one which was like only six episodes was because they spent six months filming six episodes and then when it came around to season two there were points where they're like we're not caught up we, we don't have enough episodes to finish this season so episodes that end up airing during the summer, which you would think they just dumped it, was because, no, these episodes are, like, so big, they take so long to film. Uh, and in the end, the, the cost of the show was just so enormous because if George Lucas wanted to film an episode that was in Egypt, he took the entire cast and crew to Egypt to film. Uh, so the Young Indiana Jones TV series, I think, you know, if, if you'd done that now, maybe had something like Netflix's backing and you waited until you had a whole season, that show could still be going today. But, like, mid-'90s, it just was impossible. But... Uh, throughout filming the Young Indiana Jones TV series, and there are two moments in this movie which are tied to Young Indiana Jones, which not only make a canon, but are relevant to this movie I'm excited to talk about, but uh, Harrison Ford decided to come back to do what we talked about, I think it was last week or, or during maybe during Temple of Doom, to actually film a cameo as the older Indiana Jones. So there's an episode that starts with an action sequence, and it's Harrison Ford, an older Harrison Ford, with the, the fugitive beard, as you pointed out, uh, and then the end of the episode, it has another moment again, and it's kind of like Indiana Jones theme playing. And that kind of got their brains going, Spielberg, Lucas, and Harrison Ford. You know, maybe it would be fun to do this again. Uh, but it was still a couple of years after that as they're like, you know, working on it uh, before an idea came up. And it, it was actually Harrison Ford who proposed it first, like officially more than just, oh, yeah, my, maybe we'll do these one these days, where he just called up Spielberg and called up Lucas and said, listen, I actually think that this might be something that we should do. And then Spielberg and Lucas were like, you know, the funny thing is, is that we get asked more about doing another Indiana Jones movie than we do anything else, Jurassic Park or Star Wars or anything. So they all sort of just officially decided, yeah, let's do this movie. And, you know, it went through lots of drafts. And uh, we'll talk a little bit when we get to it throughout the movie about how aliens came into this and who was opposed to it and how they worked around that. But, uh, I mean, throughout 19 years... It was probably at least 10 to 15 of those years where it was always sort of on the table. I mean, I always remember an interview with Harrison Ford from the mid 90s where he was being asked, you know, oh, would you ever play uh, Jack Ryan again? And he goes, ah, you know, the, the idea that they had, which was some of all fears, he goes, I was opposed to that, but maybe if they had the right story. Star Wars, he's like, no, I don't think there's much else to explore with that character. <laughs> Should have just said, wait for the paycheck. Money. Big enough. <laughs> Money. <laughs> But uh, with Indiana Jones, I remember being asked, would you play Indiana Jones again? He goes, yeah, in a split second. No question about it. I'd all, He always would be on board. And it was so fun watching the making of this movie as long as uh, along with all the other making ofs because that grumpy Harrison Ford that everybody's used to, 
I mean, he doesn't exist on an Indiana Jones set. King of the Crystal Skull, watching the making of. Harrison Ford literally has a smile on his face the entire time. He's grinning ear to ear. He's having the time of his life. And that's one of the things that shows in this movie. Like, everybody's having fun. Yeah. And a lot of the criticism that this movie gets, I mean, you don't focus on the positives, which make up 95% of the movie, yeah. which is that Harrison Ford's having a blast. They've got his character right. It's an evolved character. And the story... It, it, it it's the same as Indiana, Indiana, Indiana Jones movie. 100%. Raiders of the Lost Ark lacks a story. Temple of Doom, Last Crusade, they lack a story. This movie is exactly what I think they all wanted to make. It's exactly what the series always was meant to be. And everybody had you know, a, a maximum effort put in to actually make this thing work. I love that point you make about it's the same character because how many of these legacy sequels destroy what we had beforehand? Yeah. Alan Grant, <laughs> Alan Grant, Jeff, you know Malcolm, you know freaking. I mean, Ian, uh, Jeff Goldblum in freaking Independence Day, like you know David Levinson. Yeah. Like, how many of these characters just you just you just want to forget them in sequels because they're just not good. They're not the same. And yeah, people get older, but you can still sometimes have that swagger. I mean, again, don't get a start on Luke Skywalker. I mean, come on, that is not <laughs> our hashtag. Not our Luke. Even Mark Hamill says that's not our Luke Skywalker. So, yeah, you're right. This really does kind of feel that way. I, I do remember, I think we talked about this, that um, I did watch the Young Indiana Jones and the Kid, but again, I think I only saw the miniseries when they did it, release them, yeah. kind of combine them. Late um, 90s, early 2000s. Because I never remember the old man because like, I, I saw the um, some YouTube video about the weird Indiana Jones Chronicles and they showed like the old Indiana Jones and he's like got an eye patch or something like that and he's like Mr. Magoo And it was always like, oh, let me tell you a story. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, which I mean, that's, that guy's probably younger than Harrison Ford. He's now in the Dial of Destiny. Um, but it's funny you say, I've, I've talked a few times about that um, famous Harrison Ford interview on a talk show in Australia in the 2000s on, called Rove Live. The one where it was like they introduced the Harrison Ford swear jar because Harrison Ford just gets swearing all the time. And Rove asked him, this would have been back 2005, 2006, whenever that weird freaking movie came out with, um, yeah, Paul Bettany. But, um, and he's a oh, fire, firewall or something. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. And Rove's just basically like, oh, would you ever play Harrison Ford again? And he was kind of like, you could see. Would you ever play Harrison uh, Ford? Yeah, like, would you play oh, Harrison Ford? that character's I, got nothing to do. He should him. die. Son of a bitch should die. But he was basically like, yeah, I'd love to or something like that. And, like, I think he even kind of alluded to, like, oh, yeah, we're talking about it. Um, but just quickly before we get into the movie, too, I was reading a bit on Wikipedia, and I don't know if you know much about the background of this, but allegedly when they first signed this up, they were initially were going to make five of these, but then they kind of capped it at three, and then... Steven Spielberg had expressed interest in doing more and exploring the theme of aliens. And apparently Harrison Ford had initially said, no, I'm not too sure about that. But I think it was more of a case of Harrison Ford wanted, uh, Steven Spielberg wanted to do that 50 style kind of alien style of film, sort of like, you know, you kind of invade or what is like day the earth stood still kind yeah. of that sort of, uh, what's it? It's called, it's called a genre. It's got a name that, that 50 sci-fi pop or whatever it's called. Um, yeah. So kind of like what Mars Attacks was, you know what I mean? So yeah, yeah. So I think that's kind of initially what I'm reading here. I don't know if you have any more information about sort of it, that. Yeah, I mean, it, well, it was actually George Lucas who uh, originally came up with the idea, and it was during the shooting of that uh, episode of Young Indy that Harrison Ford was on, where he was just watching Harrison Ford, and he's like, he's still he still got it, but he's older, and then he just envisioned. What if Indiana Jones was in the 50s as opposed to let's do the 40s and, you know, dye his hair or whatever. And then he started to think about 
the movies of the 50s and let's play with the genre of that time. Uh, the alien thing is something that Spielberg and Lucas were both on board with early on. And the Spielberg actually switched off on it when Independence Day came out. And it was more just Independence Day people. We haven't covered this movie. We won't any, but like Independence oh, is one of these movies that it changed movies the way that like Iron Man and Dark Knight mm. changed movies in 2008, where suddenly everything was aliens. And Spielberg was just sort of like, no, I'm not going to do aliens because Independence Day has done that. And it's as big as it's ever going to be. Uh, and they went through a lot of Harrison Ford was opposed to it. It was it was one day where George Lucas, Spielberg and, and Harrison Ford are both now saying not the aliens, not the aliens, even though Spielberg was on board. They were not the aliens, not the aliens. Uh, and then he said, what if they weren't aliens? And he's calling up Spielberg and he's like, OK, so what would it be? He goes, well, what if they were interdimensional beings? And Spielberg's like, that's interesting. <laughs> You know, tell me a bit more about that. And he starts going on like these theories. And it's funny. I listened to a podcast recently. It's actually an, oh, an aliens. It's, it's not us. Sorry. <laughs> uh, it's it's a podcast on like alien sightings. And, you know, some of it's like debunking it. And some of it's like, oh, but there's something kind of here. And let's actually objectively look at the evidence. And they briefly talked about like interdimensional beings and stuff. that like, A lot of people believe, well, aliens are nothing more than just, you know, visions from another dimension. And Spielberg was suddenly really into it. He goes, Okay, I think I'd be on board with that. And then Spielberg was asking Lucas, so like what would these interventional beings look like? He goes, Well, I mean, they'd look like aliens. <laughs> they <laughs> got flying like, okay. saucers. They're from Roswell. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh that that idea of just let's change it is so weird that like in this movie, that's one of the things that they probably don't stick the landing on is yeah. they're not aliens, they're interventional beings, because and they feel the need to explain that line later on, which doesn't help. But for whatever reason. Harrison Ford and Steven Spielberg got back on board when Lucas said they're interdimensional beings. And then in the end, they don't really do anything to explain interdimensional beings in this movie. Yeah, I don't know. Because I know you alluded to like a week ago that, yeah, they're not really aliens and, and they're not, but they do escape in a flying saucer. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I don't know. But I look, I I love all things to do with aliens. I'm, I'm X-Files. I'm a believer, you know. Um, smash not Smash Mouth. Who did the fifties version of the original of that? Is that was it the Monkeys? The monkey, yeah, probably. Um, yeah, I was gonna say Smash Smash Man, Mouth. Did, her face. They did, did the straight version. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Noah. <laughs> Every Monkeys fan is like, oh, the Monkey <laughs> did it first. I, I tell you, I told the story about how um, because I didn't really discover Michael Jackson until I was like fourteen or fifteen. So I always thought that Smooth Criminal by Alien Ant Farm was the original. And I remember watching, um, we had a, a late night video clip show in Australia called Rage, two o'clock, three o'clock in the morning. And I'm just watching it all of a sudden, like Smooth Criminal by Michael Jackson comes on. I'm like, what? How is this a, possible, a possibility? <laughs> Why is Michael Jackson covering Alien Ant Farm? <laughs> has he gone back to the 80s and he's black again? I don't understand this. Um, but yeah, anyway, but. That wasn't Michael Jackson. That was an interdimensional being. Of yeah. Michael Jackson. <laughs> Some people have said that about Michael Jackson, but <laughs> you know, like I, I love all things to do with aliens. So maybe that's also why I'm not opposed to this film. And you know, Spielberg has a history with aliens. I mean, two of his most famous yeah. films are I about mean, aliens. It, you have to wonder if that's one of the other reservations that he might've had too, because in last crusade, we were talking about him not wanting to do the haunted house. Cause like, Oh, I just did poltergeist a couple of years ago. And nobody's more associated with aliens than Spielberg, you know, yeah. Close Encounters and E.T. And I mean, at, at the point that uh, they're probably really getting in production on this movie, he had just done AI as well, mm. which is not, it's not aliens. <laughs> they, they might as well be aliens. 
so yeah, I mean Spielberg maybe not want to do it and War of the Worlds as well, I guess. Uh, oh, of but course, uh, yeah. Yeah, so I Spielberg just may have been aliened out, but I mean this is what he does best, although I will say of all the alien things that Spielberg did, you know, this is probably the one that he pulled off the weakest. It's also one of the other reasons I remember like George Lucas took a lot of flack for the aliens because it was initially his idea, but people like, oh yeah, the aliens are so George Lucas. I'm like, okay, he did Star Wars, but like Spielberg's way more associated with aliens than Lucas is. Like, let's let's spread some of the blame around. But again, there's nothing to blame here because if you take, I I honestly believe if somebody didn't edit this and you just didn't show the aliens coming to life at the end of the movie, which I think is one of my big problems, and you didn't say at the end, oh, did they go off into space or no, another dimension? You cut that out and you just leave some of that mystery of what did I just see, which is like, in Raiders, are those ghosts? You don't feel the need to address it. It's just like I saw something. Yeah. Then people are probably okay with this because, like, what's wrong with it? The the ending of this movie is the X Files fight future fight the future. If you remember the ending of that movie when they're in Antarctica. Oh, I never watched that one. Uh, so basically, like it ends. They. Well, oh, is that the first one or second? The first one. It's the. Yeah. No. No. I yeah. did see that. So yeah. when they're in Antarctica and uh, like uh, Scully's passed out and Mulder's like carrying her out of the thing and you see the spaceship take yeah. off and. Scully's like knocked out, so of course she doesn't see it. And Mulder's like, "Come on, Scully, aliens! I told you, I told you!" And she's like, "Dead." So where's my camera? Yeah. So uh, I mean, this is the ending of X Files: Fight the Future. Uh, what are we doing? The X Files: Fight the Future. The second one was weird. It had Billy Connolly in it, like you know. Oh, that's what made it weird. Billy Connolly. <laughs> I don't know. Like he played like a villain, and I'm like, Billy Connolly. Like I mean, he's a funny man, but like I mean, I, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Not not to immediately get sidetracked, but. I, I really always struggled to get into the X-Files and I can't tell you why. It's just like, cause, cause like you, I loved all the alien stuff. There's actually a TV show, uh, which I think I mentioned, it made my top 50 favorite TV shows of all time called Dark Skies, which mm. lasted only one year. And Dark Skies was sort of promoted as, oh, this is a ripoff of X-Files, but it was completely different. Cause it's like, it took place during the sixties and it was like young Indiana Jones. We're going to involve real historical events, JFK's assassination and the Vietnam war. And I love that show, but like X-Files for whatever reason, I could never get into it. But that first X-Files movie, I remember seeing because like, right. oh, a TV show is being made a movie. And I'm like, wow, this is a great movie. Yeah. Still couldn't really ever get into the TV show afterwards. It's uh, I've always wanted to go back and rewatch. It's been a long time since I watched it. I mean, the reboots that they did were one of the better reboots, sort of. I think they did two seasons from it for memory about, what, five or so years ago. It was. It, I think it, I saw the first. It, it was, there was there was one episode I remember that was just brilliant. Like it was, I think there was one that had Reese Darby in it. And there was another one that they did. It was like kind of like, a restaurant that was like AI and it completely locked them in this restaurant and was trying to kill them. And it was just, it was just crazy, like amazing. Um, like just funny. You will have the milkshake. It was just Mulder and Scully versus a, a AI restaurant. Like it was just, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, it, but that's the thing though with David Decoff, we've talked about him before, but like, whereas, you know, I, I avoided watching Breaking Bad for so long. Cause I'm like, no, Brian Cranston's how from Malcolm in the Middle, how could I ever take him as like a drug lord? But I can still kind of interchange and see him in comedy and seriousness. After watching Californication, I'm just like, oh, can I have a picture of this guy's Mulder again? And it's <laughs> it's kind of hard, you know, Hank Moody to Mulder. Anyway, we, we go on a tangent. Um, so this movie, again, uh, famous last words, won't take long. But um, I don't. I did see that uh, they did ask Sean Connery to come back, but he was enjoying retirement yeah. too much because he was alive oh. when this movie was on. So Yeah, actually, I nobody's really ever confirmed this, but this even just the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull story that they were adapting went through so many drafts, just trying to fit a role in for Connolly, uh, Connolly Billy Connolly. <laughs> when Connery turned it down, they said Billy Connolly's playing Henry Jones. But uh, 
I've always sort of wondered because they said he had a bigger role at one point, which was it was going to revolve around a lot. And then we basically paired it down where it'd be like only two scenes. I, I kind of feel like the Jim Broadbent role, because he has like two or three scenes in this movie, is maybe what the, the final draft of the script was going to have with Connery. Mm. And that maybe the John Hurt role originally it was going to be Connery when it was a bigger role. But uh, I mean, you, you can kind of see even in both those characters, oh, with a little bit of tweaking, I could see this had been Henry Jones. And John Rhys-Davies was slated to make a cameo in the wedding scene, but he turned it down because he wanted more of a significant role. But he's about to be in uh, Dial of Destiny. So, which, again, I'm I'm very intrigued to see what they do with the Shia LaBeouf character and Karen Allen. Because <laughs> yeah. brandishing a knife, Shia LaBeouf stabbed himself. Which, can we just touch on Shia LaBeouf quickly? Because like, this was, what, Transformers was 2008 as well, wasn't it? Or was that 2007? So, so this is so like he peak had- Shia LaBeouf before cray-cray Shia LaBeouf. Yeah, like uh, I was when we were watching the movie, Jamie's like, isn't that the kid from Transformers? I'm like, yeah, but like, you know, what's crazy is that in 2008, Shia LaBeouf probably had as much media attention as Harrison Ford. Like, yeah, he was huge. There's 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 no way to really even describe to people how big he was at the time because he had a TV show. It was a Disney show called Even Stevens, which I don't know if mm, you ever saw that. I vaguely remember it. Was, it. Yeah. It was like if you're talking like kids Disney shows, like this was peak kids. This was actually a really well written, well acted show. And then he had this movie called Holes that came out. I think it was around mm. like 2005, 2006, which I remember seeing that and being like, "Wow, this kid's really good." Then I think it was 2007. He had Disturbia, uh, which Spielberg produced, which is why he's in this movie, and Transformers, which Spielberg produced. So basically, Spielberg fell in love with Shia LaBeouf. And who had his career for several years, <laughs> but like that's the thing is like it, like between Disturbia, Transformers, Eagle Eye, which came out the same year as this, and Indie, I mean, the, I, I I don't know, I can't think of any actors you know in, in this modern age who had the role that he was on. It was everything he did was like number one at the box office. Like he was a huge box office draw. Did not know that he was in iRobot and he was in Constantine. Yeah, uh, iRobot, he was, um, uh, Constantine, I don't remember, but uh, iRobot, uh, he was, uh, do you remember that movie well? Vaguely. That Minority like, Report blending is the same movie to me. <laughs> yeah, well, he he was like this this kid who was uh, basically like trading in, he's the guy who got Will Smith all of his like vintage electronics in that right. movie. Okay. But yeah, like, like, I mean, it was big, big star, and then he kind of fell off. He was a bit... I don't know if this is a bad comparison or not, because I think Shia LaBeouf kind of leveled himself out where he's kind of almost a bit respected now in a weird way. Whereas it was a bit like Sam Worthington because Sam Worthington was hot shit for a little bit there. And then all of a sudden he started bashing paparazzi and married Lara Bingle and (laughs) still does Avatar movies. He goes, oh yeah, that guy. (laughs) Yeah. I I think one other thing to um, uh, put in perspective for people who don't remember is that uh, I mean, Joaquin Phoenix, when he went mm. crazy for a year and then it turned out it was all for a documentary? Yeah. Imagine that, but Shia LaBeouf, it wasn't for a documentary. No. Uh, maybe Ezra Miller without committing crimes would be something similar. He really went off the rails, uh, but then obviously now is you know kind of, like you said, gotten a little bit more uh, respect and everything and never really gotten any legal trouble. I mean, just look at his filmography right now. I mean, we also should add on there um, the Wall Street sequel. Mm. So not just Indiana Jones, they make a sequel to Wall Street like 20-something years later, and they're like, it's going to be Shia LaBeouf and Michael Keaton, or Michael, Michael Ke- which Michael was it? Douglas. Michael Douglas. Michael Douglas, yeah. But like the last big movie I really see from him here, um, 
was uh the the one he did with tom hardy jessica chastain uh dane dehane was in that movie lawless mm. it was like kind of like a um a, i don't know t- 1920s 1930s mafia slash western film that was a that was a really good movie and then yeah after that it's suddenly well fury that was a, a tank movie with brad pitt but yeah then it suddenly just becomes i'm gonna do like an indie movie every couple of years just when i feel like it yeah he, he didn't he do like some really like erotic film where he's like full-on having sex i think there's like yeah, like pretty much like a porn film he did. Like I'm gonna assume it's this one here, Nymphomaniac from 2013. Yeah, like I think it, like that got a lot of press because they were basically like, like he's like actually having sex in this film and it's pretty graphic. So if you if Jamie's uh, in the show, was in that Willem Dafoe. Well, Willem, uh, who hasn't Connie seen Nielsen. Willem Dafoe? Was that movie that Willem Dafoe did with Madonna where he was like full on fucking her? Was it Body of Evidence? Stella- <laughs> Stellan Skarsgård was in that movie. Now Jamie's on board. Of course he ja- was. Jamie, Jamie's got a thing for all three Skarsgårds, uh, including Stellan. So. Oh, and <laughs> old mate Little Dick from True Blood. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, so uh, once again, it starts off pretty much like, I'm, I mean, assuming that uh, Dial of Destiny is going to start the same. Very basic. We've got the Paramount Mountain that goes into a go. What, what is the deal with the gophers in this film? Like, I mean... <laughs> I, I'm just more confused about was Spielberg and Lucas smoking some stuff at this point going, ah, I know, gophers. Like, 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 you know, I always kind of wanted the same thing. And, and again, I never had a problem with it. It's just like, oh, because it's like two shots in the movie. You get the yeah. gophers here and then you get the gopher later on, which is just sort of looks at Indy. Like, stop making such a big deal about the gophers. It's, they're barely in this movie. But uh, yeah, I think it's just something fun to throw into the beginning of this movie uh maybe it was just an excuse we need something for the mountain what are you going to do in the middle mm. of the desert i don't know maybe a gopher hill uh but when i watched it l- the other night i instantly connected with it's the monkey from raiders so again people this is always be- what is going to be more over the top if if you had swapped the places and you had gophers in raiders of the lost ark people would be like oh the gophers so great and then if you had a swastika you know hmm. uh or the nazi salute uh, monkey in King of the Crystal Skull, people be like, "Oh, the one with the aliens and the monkey." Yeah, that's a, that's a very good point. I do, I do like the start. Like uh, going back to your point about like different periods, different decades, and all that sort of because he's Dial of Destiny in the sixties. Is that what it's meant to be in? Yeah, it's like it's the moon landing, so it's gonna be sixty nine. Oh, nice, <laughs> sixty nine. <laughs> Look it up. Um, but I, I kind of like, and like I, I weirdly kind of am I okay that they skip the forties because I guess they don't really want to do the war, so. You know? Yeah. Well, I um, I mean, the Young Indiana Jones TV series did World War One, mm. but it, it kind of has me more curious because they mentioned the war throughout this movie. Mention the war, and it actually, yeah, it has me uh curious, like uh, some of the novels, because there are also a series of novels that were. I have a couple. I've literally got one of them right here. I was <laughs> that. Oh, look at that. He does too. But yeah, they did a series of novels, which again was like pre Raiders of the Lost Ark. And I don't know if the comics I've got, I've been telling Jamie, uh, I have like a graphic novel collection of indie comics. I, I hope that they did explore World War II a little bit because it would be something fun to read about. But because they'd already done it during uh, the young Indiana Jones for World War One, maybe it's like, well, there's no sense in actually doing that again. Do I have a memory of a video game being released around the time of this on PS2 Two or PS3? I know there was there Lego, was, but like, did, was there like a non-Lego yeah. video game? They did uh, Infernal Machine, mm. which I remember that one being like, oh, the gameplay is kind of fun, but then I kind of grew tired of it. But then the second one, The Emperor's Tomb, uh. I still have both of them here somewhere. I told Jamie, find them. I'm going to break them up before the movie. But yeah, there were two video games like in the early 2000s that right. were done. Okay, um, I thought there yeah. was. I, I mean, I never actually played the Lego one. I've just I've talked to you about how I've just gotten um, Lego, the 
the redone of the Star Wars one, all nine films now. But um, no, I wouldn't mind getting the Indiana Jones ones. But we've got this great opening scene. It's uh, young kids in the 50s listening to Elvis because that's what they did. And they're speed racing the US Army because kids in Nevada. Now, I got a little bit confused here because all this Area 51 and Roswell stuff, I'm like, that's New Mexico. But obviously this is the point that they've taken stuff from Roswell to this Hangar 51, which is what, like, allusions to Area 51 because it's a different yeah. state. I got a bit confused there. But they mentioned, you see it on the box. I think it says New Mexico on the box. So, obviously, mm-hmm. um, it's there. But and I when they when they get to the gate here and you've got this Russian henchman, I thought it was Dave Batista. Like, I didn't know Dave <laughs> Batista was in this movie. Uh, looks like him, doesn't it? I don't know if you got that yeah. vibe. But um, so these are sort of U.S. Army guys pull up to the gate, but they're not really U.S. Army because they murder everyone. Bastards, they're <laughs> Russian because it's the 50s and why wouldn't they be evil? Um, and uh, poor old Indy's been kidnapped here. And as always, we've got to get a big whole like introduction with the hat. And, da, 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 da. and back in the day, back in, nine, back in 2008, when we were young, um, everyone was like, oh, how's Harrison Ford going to pull this off? He's old. Like, you know, look, look how old he looks. How's he going to do the action? Fast forward 15 years later, <laughs> <laughs> which again, I saw the trailer before the flash and they obviously use a lot of de-aging in that film. For There's obviously flashback scenes because you yeah. see him very young in it. Who's the other guy? The, uh, like the, the actor, Ray Winstone, Ray Winstone. I thought, yeah, I knew he looked familiar. And I, like, I always get confused. Like well, the two times I've seen this film. Because it's sort of like, he's good, he's bad, he's good, he's bad. That to me is Alias. That's why I don't think I ever got into Alias. Because yeah. every time I watched it, I'm like, hey, she good, she bad, she good, she bad, she good. I don't get it. Um, so, There's that line at the end where it's like, what are you now, a triple agent? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I kind of like how basically in this opening scene, we pretty much just get introduced to the villains immediately. And Kate, Kate Blanchett, like, he's the villain. Like, it's not yeah. teasing you. Like, uh, I mean, I guess we kind of got Julian Glover fairly quickly last week. But, I mean, this is, like, within, what, the opening five minutes? Hey, it's Kate Blanchett. Which, what happens with her accent in this film? Like, she's... Well, what Ru- do you mean? She's Russian, she's British, she's Russian, she's <laughs> British. Like, I mean... I, I, I didn't notice that. I just It just always drops in and out. But, again, I'm, I'm not the biggest Kate Blanchett fan. I've come around on her a lot more. I mean, she's won two Oscars. Probably should have won a third this year. But, you know... She's still pretty great. She's she she was obviously having fun playing. Because is this the first time she's ever really played like a campy villain? She obviously went on to do that in Thor, yeah. but like I mean, this is quite a, a change from Kate Blanchett because she was very much the the awards darling around this point. I mean, she still is, but like I don't think she has she really done like a blockbuster kind of film like this back in two in the two thousands. No. And she'd been nominated for five Academy Awards before this movie came out. The year prior to this. She was nominated twice for Best Actress and Supporting Actress in the same year. Uh, Is that what she won? Yeah, th- uh, no, she didn't win that oh, year. She won in 2005, won... so she beat Natalie Portman. That's why I hate her. Yeah, well, <laughs> she, 2013, she beat Natalie Portman. But no, in 2000... Oh, she beat her 2000, twice. Oh, yeah, no. So, yeah, 2005, Bitch. yeah, she won for The Aviator. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, like, she hadn't really ever done any type of blockbusters like this before. And I remember that being uh, a kind of a big thing. Oh, we've got an Academy Award nominee or Academy Award winner in this movie. And nobody really knew the role she was playing until you saw the trailer and you saw she was the villain. Uh, but, I mean, the, the only thing I really know about Kate Blanchett being in this movie is that she just, she 
she liked the Indiana Jones movies and they said, hey, you know who would be perfect if we could get her, Kate Blanchett. Mm. And I could imagine like the skepticism, you know, maybe of other people on the production crew where Spielberg and Lucas are saying, what if we could get Kate Blanchett? And they're like, like you're getting Kate Blanchett to do an Indiana Jones movie? And then they call her up. She's like, Indiana Jones, I'm in! <laughs> Before even asking what the role is. <laughs> Would you wonder like how much that helped her towards Thor? Um, but like, I think the thing that's interesting is you don't really ever hear this come up anymore with Kate Blanchett. Like, again, she's two-time Academy Award winner, Kate Blanchett. But like when you talk about her filmography, I feel this never gets mentioned that she was an Indiana Jones yeah. villain. And, and can I just say, maybe the most fun Indiana Jones villain because like, I mean, out of the well, first three, like... Not to take away from Julian Glover or the other people, but like the most memorable and the biggest name villain, I would argue, mm. even more than Mads Mikkelsen we're about to see. No offense to Mads, we're Mads about Mikkelsen. But I mean, like this is the biggest villain I think we've had and maybe the best villain we've had. Yeah, like when you said at the beginning, she doesn't really have a lot of development or anything in this movie. You know, what is she there for? Um, I agree with that to a certain extent. I think where I don't agree with it is that we talked about in all three of the first movies, the villains are barely like you you barely re realize they're there julian glover he only becomes a villain like halfway into the movie uh belloc is like there every once in a while uh, molaram the guy the second one doesn't even get introduced till more than an hour in and yeah. we still don't know what the point of his character is uh this is kind of unusual in that they are introducing her in the first scene and they're explaining what her purpose is and it's it's never a thing about oh and then this person's gonna kind of be you know, in the the middle of the movie villain, and we've got the we've got the other Russian guy in this movie. But other than that, it's all her. So yeah, she is the most prominent villain by far in any of the Indies. So they're they're here because they're trying to find a box. They're trying to find a, an item, and Indy knows where it is because he helped basically find it. Now, can I just ask, is this the same hangar that the Ark of the Covenant is in? Because do we see that? In, you see it. So that is, okay, right. I didn't read the yeah. trivia. It was just more like when I saw it, I'm like, is that meant to be that the arc? And is this meant to be like a throwback? So, okay, mm -hmm. just good. Not done, Ben. Well done, Ben. Um, so basically to find this box, it's magnetic. So Indy gets gunpowder and we kind of get this cool like sequence of floating gunpowder, which they eventually find this box, which I mean, I'm sure people complain about this because also Kate Blanchett is psychic. Is she? So she can like yeah. she touches Indy and... You are very hard to read. Um, although, it did, did it not remind you a bit of Goldeneye when he's when he's like, oh, your accent's a bit strange. Oh, where do you think I'm from? East Ukraine. Very good. Very good. It does not remind yeah. you of Goldeneye. Like, uh, your accent. Georgian. Very good, Mr. Bond. Um, <laughs> thank you, Jansen. Come on, where is she in this film? Um, so, they, they find this uh, box. Kate Blanchett's going to open it up and we see an alien hand and it says Roswell on it and we've got 51. So, like, straight away, like, because I don't think it clicked for me that this was aliens until the final scene when I saw it at the cinema. Like, it's so fucking obvious. There's like 51, mm -hmm. Roswell. Like, I mean, it's very, like, obvious. Um, we also find out here that old mate Ray is, is bad because I, I do love Indy's play here when he's like, he gets the gun and he's like, you know, let me go or I'll shoot Kate Blanchett. He's got like 50 guns on him already. Like, why do these, why do these people just go, bang, shoot Indy? Like, you know, movie's got a movie, I guess. So we're going to kind of get this cool uh, escape sequence where Indy's trying to get out while Kate Blanchett's stealing the, the alien box. And again, this is kind of the whole movie. It's just literally an, an elongated action sequence. This is why I feel this movie won't take long to get through. But it's cool. Like, I kind of like this car chase through a hangar where, like, and they kind of almost, like, play into the, oh, he's too old for this shit. 
because he jumps on, he's got his like whip and he's going to try and land on the car. And then he like smashes back in the other and goes, oh, I thought that was closer. <laughs> I like, again, like I feel this movie gets criticism for being a bit like slapsticky and dumb. Hello, did we not point out the first three movies were almost like three Stooges movies and slapstick comedy? Especially Last Crusade, which is like the, the one that everybody holds in such reverence. Like I, like that was the thing that I think I noticed the most in this rewatch is like, these are almost flat out comedies. Like it's just, it's over the top sometimes, but it's great. And this is exactly what this is. Um, so and I kind of like the car chase when they kind of like, he's like, what, kicking Kate Blanchett out and he's driving around and then he ends up on this, um, what even is it? A rocket hydrofoil with not Dave Batista. What is that meant to be? Do I think you know? it's like, a, yeah, I think it's like a rocket car. Uh, I know I, I've seen these, uh, before it's, it's more or less to test speed, I guess. Where's, um, old Vlad going, Hey boss, he beat your time. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Let's get him on the line. Die another day references in this movie. There you go. <laughs> Global warming. It's such a terrible... <laughs> time to draw a line. Uh, <laughs> but you're also loving this film because when Indy accidentally hits the countdown button and they go flying, about 30 men get burnt to death, uh, which Colin's going, yay. But Ray Winstone uh, survives. So does not but Dave Batista survives. But everybody escapes. And I love, I'm sorry. I know this is one of the, like the most criticized scenes in this entire movie. This literally coined a movie version of jump the shark called nuking the fridge. But I love this. Like I just love Indy walking around this like deserted town. And he's just like walking around and he goes into this house and he's at like, howdy doody. It's howdy do. It is. It's howdy doody time. Howdy doody time. (laughs) Was that a real show? Howdy doody. Yeah, it was. Oh, that that was what Woody's roundup was like ripped off. Right. Wasn't it? Exactly. (laughs) But doody. But um, I love he's like running in this house and he sees these people. Guys, guys, you got to help me. And they're just mannequins. He's like, Ooh, what's what's going on here? And then all of a sudden he's like the air raids. And he's like, oh, that can't be good. And so it's like, he's like, everybody get out. It's like, oh, that can't be good. And then these cars, all the mannequins are just like on bikes. They're just, I want, I want to be in the US Army setting this up. All right, little Jimmy's over here playing ball. Here's a little Fiona on a pogo stick. All right, turn the TV on. It's howdy doody time. There's like a slip and slide. There's like a freaking Fido on the... The only time you'll ever see Fido getting burnt to death is a plastic one. Um, so when he's like panicking, he's trying to get on the uh, the car as it's driving off. We kind of get this really cool zoom out shot where we see like a nuclear bomb about to be dropped. So we realize this is a test zone, um, which... How, where are they testing this from? Didn't all the U.S. Army get murdered the night before? Um, or is it just on automation? Good point. Is it just this, automated? This has to be, it has to be walking distance, too. Yeah. From Area 51 or, or Hangar 51. Yeah, like they're just going, oh, that's just Lenny and Carl. They're sleeping on the job. <laughs> Lenny and Carl, apparently. But um, so, and this is a scene which I feel is the most criticized in this entire movie, even more than aliens, even more than monkey rope swinging and everything else. To get away from the nuclear bomb, Indiana Jones sees a fridge, he clears it, he closes the door as a nuclear bomb goes off and he survives. Now, there's obviously the little subtle mention where you see the word lead lining, which Mm -hmm. I think I've seen people go like, oh, how convenient. Wasn't everything in the 50s lead? Like, people in the 50s were dumb. It's like, oh, asbestos. Give the paint. Yeah. Lead paint. That's a whole... Why is there a reason why we have to do testing for lead paint in your house? Asbestos. 
literally ads yeah. like children's shows. Hey, kids, you want to feel cool? Then smoke. Um, <laughs> wasn't exactly the smartest period of human existence, was it? Um, so, I mean, of course there's going to be a lead line fridge. Is it a bit outlandish? Yes, it's a little bit outlandish. But to me, this is also a movie where they survive falling off three giant waterfalls and just goes, oh, lol, that was fun. There's also a franchise where they fall out of an aeroplane in a freaking life yeah. raft and ski down a cliff. That's fine. Uh, I mean, take your pick at how many things happen in this franchise. Sean Connery crashes a plane with seagulls. That's fine because it's Sean Connery doing it. Again, this is a little bit outlandish. I get it. But I think it's fun. Indiana Jones survives a nuclear bomb in a fridge. Would this work in a James Bond film? Maybe not. Dino the day, probably. I reckon <laughs> maybe you and I would be criticising this in a James Bond film. But I think James Bond doesn't necessarily go as outlandish as Indiana Jones, he says, being a Die Another Day, Moon, Moonraker hater, Die Another Day fan. But I think you get what I'm trying to say there. James Bond at least tries to keep it a bit more realistic than Indiana Jones. We've never had aliens in James Bond. So I think it works. And I don't know. I'm going to cap it there just for this opening sequence. But I, I like, people are probably going to hate this, but I'm fine with this scene. It's funny. It's fun. It's Indiana Jones. He survives and he just gets out, gets his hat. Oh, lol. I'm just going to get, you know, interrogated by the FBI. I don't know. Do you like this scene or are you against it? Yeah, like, I can see some issues with it, but again, it's not the things that people want to complain about. The things people want to complain about, that is Indiana Jones. Uh, I guess Jen, start at the beginning uh, before I get into the, the, the nuke in the fridge and all the complaints. Um, I mean, the, the the communist Russians posing as American soldiers with the teenagers driving. I love, though, the one guy uh, who's driving when the teenagers are like, hey, 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 why did you raise us? And he's like, ha, and he's turning to the other guys and like, do not smile at them. <laughs> we are like, And this one guy, oh, I'm sorry. But then again, you see him, it's like, come on, let's go. Like this one, this guy is definitely uh, losing some family members when he gets back to Russia. <laughs> he was smiling at children <laughs> and racing cars. He listened um, to Elvis Presley. He must die. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, this is, let's play with the time period. And I think, a lot of my complaints, uh, which again, none of my complaints are so much that it takes out of my enjoyment of this movie, is that you have these time-specific things, but it's almost like they're hammering it into you. And this is like 20, 25 minutes of the movie that you covered there. And there are a few too many very time-specific. Let's tell people, we're definitely in the 50s. You got teenagers. You got you know, Elvis playing or whatever. Uh, we got the the hangar. And then at, later on, when is okay, now there's going to be a rocket car. And now we're going to have a nuclear test site. Okay, you don't need to keep reminding us, hey, this is what hey, the 50s hey, it's was the like. 50s. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> people say we're 50 around. Monkeys, there's, there we there's go. There's lead in the fridge and you're going to get nuked in the fridge today. It's howdy duty time. <laughs> we love howdy duty time. <laughs> but uh, yeah, they do drop one minute, and it does continue on. They let up about halfway through led the movie, up. but it just the let up. Yeah, <laughs> um, it, it 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 is a little bit too much of like here's another fifties thing. Here's another fifties thing. But again, on their own, they're fine. Um, I I love though the indie introduction. This is one of the things that they like. They batted around a lot back and forth and I, I, anytime where you hear stories about the collaboration between lucas and spielberg you just sort of get like why these two guys together make such an incredible combination because it was george lucas's idea that they're going to introduce them being locked in the trunk of a car hmm. 
And then it was Spielberg's idea that you would just see the silhouette of him and then the hat. Uh, and it's those two things combined that makes it's such an iconic introduction. Like this was the trailer. If anybody remembers yeah. the trailer, it was that shot of somebody being thrown out of a car and then you see the hat on the ground. And they even, they even incorporate that that line where he goes, this isn't going to be easy. And he goes, not as easy as it used to be. Uh, and also when you add the third guy in there that makes this, this you know, holy trinity of Indiana Jones uh, creators, Harrison Ford, it was Harrison Ford's idea to work the age in his humor because he was the one listening to all the people in the media saying Harrison Ford's too old to play Indiana Jones. And he was the one who was from the beginning saying, this has always been the character. You know, mm. it's not the years, it's the mileage was in the first movie. Yeah. <laughs> so he's he's always meant to be this guy who's like, oh, he's a little bit too old for this. And it was Harrison Ford's idea to have those lines, like not as easy as it used to be. And then when uh, he's saying, oh, it's just Ray Wins was like, it's just like here. And he goes, we were younger then. And Ray Wins was like, I still am. <laughs> but I mean, you got three guys who each have their own contributions to how to make this character. And that is the perfect introduction. Like say whatever you want about the rest of this movie, but reintroducing Indiana Jones, the way they do in the scene, it's perfect. Um, I love the way that he plays off of Kate Blanchett too. Like Indy's just so condescending to her and yeah. having fun. And uh, I mean, even like the, I like Ike scene line that he has later on. Like, and no point is Indy like worried in this situation. Maybe he's like, I'm going to die, but I'm still an American. You hear me? America, my country. I love that guy later on. We're going to get my country. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, the way that he's like uh, just sort of messing with uh, Kate Blanchett's accent and everything. And the point where she's like poking him on the head yeah. and he goes cross-eyed looking at it. Uh, but uh, Kate Blanchett with her psychic powers. So, I mean, this was another thing that like George Lucas kind of had the idea of the first draft they had of this was Nazis again. Because why not? And um, uh, when Lucas and Spielberg read it, they're like, Lucas, like, I think we're all Nazi'd out. And Spielberg specifically was like, after doing Schindler's List, I don't want to go back and do Nazis in a lighthearted way again. Like, I'm, I'm I, nobody's going to accept the guy who Schindler's List doing this. <laughs> he, he did Schindler's List. He was like, I found out the Nazis were bad. <laughs> exactly. You know, they did actually you, did some bad things. So I did know. Did you know that? It was specifically against the Jews. I didn't. They, I'm they, Jewish. They hated Jewish people. I just. I was. I. There was gas. Did you know this? I didn't know. Something called the Holocaust. Did, did they not teach this in schools? I know. What's wrong with this country? America, my country, should be teaching this in schools. It's like six million people. That's like that's like more people than live in like most states in my my country. What happened? My country. I feel offended. I, I just kind of don't like the Germans anymore. Are you German? You can't work on my film. Go away. No more Germans, okay? This is just wrong. <laughs> why Why did I not know this? <laughs> yeah, like that's literally what it is. Spielberg is like, oh, I made Schindler's List and I found out they did some bad things. <laughs> I can't do Nazis anymore. But uh, George Lucas sort of was like, well, we're in the 50s. Why not do the Russians? And then we could add this whole red scare in the movie, which again, they go a little bit too far. So there's one scene later on where I'm like, okay, we get it now. But uh, it, it's it's a natural idea. It's doing something different. But the the whole psychic warfare thing was George Lucas, where he's like, because George Lucas is literally like a history buff. I mean, all this. The young saying, George young, Lucas is literally a Nazi. He is a Nazi. <laughs> That's when Spielberg is like, I can't do movies with this guy anymore. No Indy 5. Did you know he was a Nazi? This, I didn't know this. This guy did Attack of the Clones. It was kind of bad. <laughs> I don't not like the worst it. Star Wars movie. It's not. It's not the worst. Star Wars. That's, that's that's me trying to, you know, go in with the kids of the day. 
But uh, we didn't yeah, have yeah, Rise Jordan- of Skywalker or Last Jedi in 2008, kids. So that's, you know, <laughs> it was okay. <laughs> it's okay. That's the joke. But like George Lucas had done all this research and he knew that like uh, Joseph Stalin was kind of the way that Hitler kind was obsessed bad. with the, uh, he was a bad guy. <laughs> but Stalin, like Hitler was obsessed with the occult, which is a line <laughs> they have in the original, which is real. Sorry. You got another one? Wait, Steven's <laughs> really so I found out those planes that flew into the building, that was bad. <laughs> <laughs> those terrorists, Samuel Laden was a bad guy. Imagine him on 9-11. It's like, those poor Iraqis who were just trying to sightsee in their plane, <laughs> just trying to get a nice view of New York City. They flew right in the building. That's all horrible. They just wanted to borrow the plane because they weren't <laughs> flying close enough and they accidentally flew into it. Like, I felt bad for them, you know? Oh, God. Awful. Oh. You imagine things like this go on in this world. I know. Where have I been? Oh, like, you know, was it John Wilkes Booth or Lee Harvey Oswald, whichever it was, and he just wanted to zoom in on the president and he accidentally <laughs> pulled a trigger. He just didn't mean to. <laughs> Poor guy. Like that J.J. Abrams guy, he took over Star Wars. <laughs> what did he do to it? Did you guys know that there were three of these movies? Wow. <laughs> Independence Day Resurgence. Like, there was another movie. Did you know that? Yes. Uh, I was <laughs> so so, so I, I tried to call Harvey Weinstein about this project I thought he'd be great to work with on. Did you know he did some stuff to some women? I always just thought it was, he was really so bad. Fr- he was so friendly with them. And all of a sudden, like, he just, I don't know. Kevin Spacey. Like, he always seems so friendly <laughs> around young boys. I don't get it. What happened there? Gonna, gonna Ezra Miller. I'll just leave that. Okay. <laughs> also, I, I think Zack Snyder might have got cancelled in the last week because he was interviewed. Oh on no! Some, what now? He was interviewed on some red carpet, and they asked him about the Flash, and he was kind of all like, "Oh, I'm really excited. Blah blah blah. It looks really good." And then he said, "Like, oh, Ezra Miller. I texted him the other day to oh. wish him luck." And everyone's like, "Oh, it's you. You can't pronoun shame Ezra Miller." <laughs> Yeah. Wow. Okay. He's gonna get. We got Harvey Weinstein getting canceled. We got <laughs> Nazis getting canceled, and now Zack Snyder called him a him. Uh, you were very good in our Flash episode too. You're like, I know I'm gonna screw this up. I I listened, and like, you didn't screw it up. <laughs> Steven Spielberg is going like going like. So that there's more than two genders. Did you know this? Yes. <laughs> what you mean? Men can sleep with men, and women can sleep with like what? There are people uh, who pa- aren't white. What's happening? Uh, uh, pa- Apparently being gay is okay now. <laughs> when did this happen? You can get abortions? What? <laughs> well. You know, uh, the, did you know that women can vote? Date? Have you been voting this whole time? I didn't realize. You, you know those people who've got picking cotton? That's illegal now. <laughs> can we cancel that shipment from Africa that we've got coming in? I don't think we're allowed to do that anymore. I just, I didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to invade that country down south and take it for my own. Did that, was that too far? Um, <laughs> we, we're done, Stephen. We're sorry. <laughs> and sink. He will never be on the show. <laughs> but anyways, yes. Yeah, so the, the Russians, George Lucas, <laughs> had done all this research and he kind of knew that uh, the like Stalin's obsession was sort of about psychic uh, powers, which... This is something that I wish that they had maybe spent more. I'm not saying I have a problem with the aliens, but to me, this is the more interesting story because this wasn't something just that the Russians did. The Americans did this. I don't know if you ever heard about Project Stargate. Mm. This is something like there there are real, 
Well, no, yes, exactly the Roland same thing. Roland Emmerich nailed it. <laughs> but uh, this was a real thing that's like been confirmed, and there are, there are people, you know, in the government who was like, yes, this exists. Bill Clinton basically authorized this program in the '90s, uh, and then canceled it after a while. Where uh, they would they would do psychic warfare. It was people with psychic abilities that were used to like find targets in the Middle East and stuff like that. And then there, there's actually this. Um, um, uh, the TV show Unsolved Mysteries did a story where they interviewed one of the guys who was part of this. And he's like, when it got to the point where they wanted you to, they were trying to train you to take over the mind <laughs> of somebody for the intent of killing. That's when I'm like, I can't do this anymore. But like, this was something the Russians and the Americans were both doing, like exploring psychic power and how to use this for warfare. So we see all these movies where they're like, oh, alien or whatever else. Like, we want to, you know, Jurassic World. We want to find out the military capabilities. We're like, that's so far-fetched. It's like, they use psychics <laughs> to try to go to war with each other. This but, is a real thing. And they literally have proven, like, just on the apparently defending Jurassic World right now, they've literally gotten dolphins and seals in warfare. Like, they have literally gotten dolphins yeah. and seals to, like, plant bombs and shit like that. So they do and- use animals in warfare. And to me, that would have been the more interesting thing to do this movie because they, they kind of have two ideas here and they don't really know which one to go with. But I like the psychic and the way they handle the psychic thing, I think is better in this movie because again, they leave some of that mystery for the end. When Kate Blanchett's doing that thing on Indy and he's not oh. responding, you you still you still have that in the back of your head. It's like, maybe she just thinks she has psychic powers and she didn't mm. do anything. But then you have that moment where, I don't know, does she use the force to blow the locks on Area 51's doors? Like, but again, they leave enough mystery like, well, maybe somebody detonated a charge, but she kind of raised her hand up like, boom, and then it explodes. I'm like, that's kind of cool. I-, I like this idea that like, maybe she has psychic powers, but maybe she doesn't. And is that even uh, far-fetched? Again, we live in a franchise where there's voodoo, for God's sake. Yeah, exactly. So it's not really far-fetched. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, the Area 51, or the Hangar 51, I remember this being one of the first things that they, they officially leaked in the movie. They they released, here's an official image. And I think you saw the number 51 somewhere, but then you saw this hangar of boxes and people were like, is this going to be where the Ark of the Covenant was kept? And people's idea originally was that this movie would re-explore the Ark of the Covenant, which they didn't end up doing, but then they kind of showed in the cameo. Uh, but uh, Harrison Ford, like as far as his performance goes, it's it's so good when he has that, that the, the way that he responds when they talk about you investigated something in Nevada at a crash, uh, crash site in New Mexico or whatever. And he just has this look of like, hey, I'm not allowed to talk about this. Like, he's almost angry. It's like, don't bring that up. And you get like the seriousness of the situation. Uh, that was the first hint anybody had this had anything to do with aliens. And I mean, I kind of like that. That the mm. Indy had these adventures that you don't even know about that are using him as an academic and not an action hero. I mean, all the action's fine here. It, it's great. Like, I, I, I love... Yeah, the thing where he's swinging and all that. I mean, I do question like the magnetic powers hmm. of you can throw gunpowder in the air and it flies halfway across the hangar. They're within three feet of this thing and their dog tags are coming in, but their guns, yeah. which have the max amount of metal, yeah. are like free of this. Um, but the action sequence, the escape is fun. I like the the turn of Ray Winstone so early in the movie, uh, where in, especially Indy, the sincerity, he's like, I thought we were friends. Like, <laughs> like he's ready to cry. I'm spitting all over Very myself. Very kill Phil. Very kill Phil by myself. I thought you were my friend. <laughs> uh, and, and, and yeah, like his escape with like the, the burning men, that's the best scene in the movie. Uh, the, the rocket cars, I think, were even the first viewing. I'm like, okay, so they got a rocket car too. I'm like, yeah, okay, you're, you're moving pretty quick here. You got lots of stuff. But again, it's no different than Temple of Doom. Yeah. Uh, and then the nuke in the fridge, like, 
it's a fun scenario. If if you you know check your brain off and you remember that Temple of Doom, I brought this up in Temple of Doom, jumping out of an airplane using the raft as a parachute, you might survive. But they're not using the raft as a parachute. They're sitting on it, yeah. and it is not slowing their descent, and they hit with a full impact, and they survive. I don't care if getting nuked is a more elaborate way that you cannot survive logically. Both ways, you're dead. Short round in the minecart chase is dead when they're yeah. pulling his body back and forth. Uh, the guy who gets his heart ripped out of his body is dead before he's burned alive. He's dead when his heart's ripped out of his body. This is an Indiana Jones movie. You know, the, the, if the plane and the, the raft is going to kill them, the fridge is going to kill them. It, to me, the impact is the only implausible part of this because there are there are people who are going to survive even a nuclear blast. They're not, this isn't ground zero. They basically detonated the nuke and this is, a, you know, a test site that's meant to see what would the damage be like at, I don't know, 20 kilometers away or 25 yeah. kilometers away. Um, you see that car, which just gets ripped out of the ground. I mean, how he's holding the door closed is I think, maybe the most implausible thing about and it. He's probably still... going to have cancer in about six months. That's probably... Um... <laughs> but it's lead-lined, so maybe he won't. We'll have lead but, poisoning uh... in six months. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, it's it, it's all just... It's, I think the only issue with this is it's maybe one too many things. If you had picked your over-the-top moments, maybe a little bit more strategically placed throughout this movie, maybe people complain less. So I could see that as maybe a problem. It's just that one outlandish thing after the other. But again, no different than Temple of Doom. Yeah, exactly. Completely agree. Um, we'll breeze through a lot more of this here now. So basically, well, he's not going to get cancer because he gets a bath and he gets scrubbed. So um, <laughs> he gets all the cancer rubbed off him. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> Don't a- worry, we got the cancer. That's how you get rid of cancer. Uh, yes. Spielberg, did you know that we, we're not supposed uh, to be using lead? Yeah. Harrison Ford. <laughs> I'm sorry. I th- I thought that I- lead was okay. Apparently, because you cancer. Do you know cancer kills you? Like it's bad. AIDS. I- I- we should we should probably get rid of the asbestos jacket too, because I heard that's not too good for you either. So this smoke in my mouth, apparently, like that's got stuff in it that can kill me. <laughs> this week on Steven Spielberg, he's educated. Um, <laughs> Um, so we, Harrison Ford's getting, uh, interrogated by the FBI. What I, I, please stop me if I haven't, the scenes that you said alluded to making young Indiana Jones canon. Is, is there any of this here or? No, that's coming up a little bit later. Okay, all right. Please don't forget. Cause I would like to know. Um, so he's getting interrogated because they're all like, you brought in KGB agents to the U S army and there was a bad person, but you know, what's going to fix this. TV's Alan Dale, because there he is. <laughs> Hang on. Yay! TV's Alan Dale. Uh, very Australian movie, Alan Dale and Kate Blanchett. Um, I, I completely forgot he was in this movie. There he is. There's Alan Dale. <laughs> Most excited I got in this entire film. Um, but So he's like, what, a military person? Because he's basically like... Do you know who this guy is? He got like 58,000 medals in the war and all this kind of stuff. So Allendale's here to save the day. And basically, uh, I mean, I, I feel like, do we need this scene? Like, I, I don't know if this scene really serves a purpose. Like, because I mean, why can't we just have him getting out of the fridge going, oh, well, that was okay. And then just goes off to teach class. Like, do we really kind of, do we just need a, a scene retconning the fact that, hey, the war happened since the last film. He did really well and he's not evil. Well, Go teach a class. I think you need a reason for him to be fired, which I, do you need that in the movie? No, but it does give Indy something. 
throughout the movie, I think there's moments here where you probably couldn't accomplish the same thing if Indy didn't know that he had just been fired or put on suspension. But why do you even need to fire him? Why can't we just have Shia LaBeouf showing up and just be like, hey, I'm Shia LaBeouf. I've got a, he's got a class to teach. <laughs> I don't know. Like, I mean, it's just, I don't, I don't like, I sure it's something different. In the end, in the end, I, this, this, I think it is a lot about they wanted to incorporate the whole red scare, you know, the, the paranoia mm. about communism into this movie, which they don't really accomplish that, I think, as well as they, they intended to, because there's a couple other scenes in this movie where it's like, okay, are you playing it for jokes? Or are you playing it seriously? I think it's an interesting idea. If anything, I kind of wish that they'd gone further mm. with this story and made it more, maybe have with the FBI and the Russians after yeah. it, because the FBI is like, oh, we got to stop this. Why isn't the FBI? They know what's going on, yeah. and they just give up on their investigation and let Indy do it? Well, the army came in, so that's all fine. Lol off your pop. <laughs> So um, Indy's back in New York teaching. And are these all the same sets that they use in the old ones? Because like we're going to get to his house. It looks the same. The The school here looks the same. Like it kind of at all. I doubt they would have saved the sets, especially if they uh, thought the movie was going to be over. They recreated it well. Yeah, they, they definitely have. Or maybe it's the same location if it was sort of an on-set location. But uh, Indy's teaching a class. We don't really have I love you on the eyes and all that sort of stuff. Because he's old now. We can't have little girls being in love with our old men. What a shame that would be. Um, and then we get Marcus Brody. Not really. It's Jim Broadbent. Here he is. Um, which, so Mark, the guy who played Marcus Brody died a long time before this film. So that's yeah. why he's not in it. But um, we'll have to get some references to him very shortly. But this is where we find out that Indy's basically being fired uh, or put on like paid leave. And um, poor old, um, uh, what's his face here, has been taking the, you know, oh, I've stepped down so you can still get paid. Um, so they go back to his house. There's a bit of flirting going on here again. It's, a, it's the old Marcus Brody flirt. We find out obviously poor old Sean, Con- well, I guess, uh, Henry Ford senior has died. Uh, as says Marcus Brody, Henry so Ford, Henry Ford, <laughs> <laughs> great U S president or founder of motor company or <laughs> fucking, I don't know. Henry Jones, you know who I'm talking about. <laughs> I had lead for breakfast this morning, right? Shut up. Lead and asbestos in your cereal. Um, so I guess you kind of got a retcon why they're not in the film. I mean, I will say, like, you probably could have gotten away with not mentioning either of them being in Like, I, it's nice. I'm not taking away from it. It's a nice little moment because, you know, obviously he played such a big part in the previous film. But, like, honestly, like, could we not just believe that, like, he's off? Like, we could have just had a passing reference to him, if you know what I mean. You know, like... When, oh, passing, you do. <laughs> well, like, I don't know. Like, Been it's, a rough couple of years. Like, I feel it will be lacking more if we don't get any reference to Karen Allen or Shia LaBeouf in Dial of Destiny. It's more mm. of like, I don't know. Like, I, I, I like that they do it. I'm not saying like, oh, this is pointless. But I mean, again, you could write this out and nothing changes. You, you know, I don't, yeah. Well, I think uh, you don't have to address Marcus. I think that's just a respect for Denham Elliott that they did that, um, especially when they get the crotch and uh, the guy's face in his crotch. But uh, <laughs> but um, with Con- I think it is because of the star pal of Connery and how much people associated him with this movie that they felt like they needed to address that. If if it if it hadn't been Sean Connery, if Alan Dale had played Henry Ford <laughs> in Aww, the last as film, he should have. He was a neighbors <laughs> back then. <laughs> then yeah you, you probably could have gotten away with not even mentioning both their deaths i had a friend though who um, oh, i you? remember when that he saw this nice. movie <laughs> once upon a time tell me what that's like <laughs> uh, i remember this was the only he didn't mind the aliens he didn't mind the gophers this was the only part of the movie that bothered him was just the cheese and it was like 
oh, it's been a rough couple of years. Dad dies, and then Marcus, and he's literally pointing at them. And then it's like, it stills from the movie that he has on his desk. <laughs> it was the, the, the photographer behind them taking these pictures and selling to them in the middle of the quest for the Holy Grail. I just uh, been doing a speed rewatch of Nip Tuck in the lead up to our 20th anniversary episode. And there was this episode where uh, Julie McMahon's character, Christian, is like putting together like a, a photo album. And like one of the photos is clearly like a, a, a red carpet premiere of like Nip Tuck with like him and the actress who plays Kimba, Kelly Carlson. And it's just kind of like, clearly they're just taking that from like People magazine and just gone like, oh, look yeah. at this picture. Because I mean, I guess technically the characters were together in the show, but it's still kind of like, oh, look at this. They're on the red carpet premiere <laughs> of Nip Tuck. Um, so poor old um, uh, Indy's brought us up to speed about all the deaths that have happened in such a short time. He's on a train. Sad Indy. But who's coming in here brandishing a knife? It's Shia LaBeouf. Shia He's LaBeouf. on a motorbike. It's Shia LaBeouf. Searching for Indy. Hollywood superstar Shia LaBeouf. Which if nobody knows what we're singing, go to YouTube. Stop listening to this right now. Type in Shia LaBeouf and find the song. It's fucking brilliant. And then literally if you've ever seen a meme of Shia LaBeouf standing and clapping like feverishly, it's from this mm. video. So uh, please watch it. It is hilarious. When I first discovered that, I was living in New Zealand and one of Mallory's friends connected me to it. I listened to that nonstop for like a month and I remember Mallory just going, oh my God, this song, stop playing it. <laughs> and I'm like, it's so good. Brandishing a knife, it's Shia LaBeouf. <laughs> um, and I, like, I actually, I completely forgot that Indy didn't know this was his son. Like I thought yeah. it was, hey, dad, I'm back. Now, apparently I just read that the initial plan was for this to be like a 13-year-old kid. And Steven Spielberg was like, mm, feels a bit lost worldy to me. And we all know how that turned out. So let's go for older. So you got Spielberg to thank us that we didn't get Shia LaBeouf, you know, gymnasticking some raptors in this movie. So, <laughs> which you talk about still Steven Spielberg being known for aliens. I'm waiting for the shark Indiana Jones movie. I'm waiting for the dinosaur Indiana Jones movie. I'm waiting for the Abraham Lincoln Indiana Jones movie, <laughs> the uh, the West Side Story Latino musical. <laughs> the, the well, don't we get that in the the restaurant scene coming up? True, true. Well, speaking of which, so uh, Shia LaBeouf they're in a restaurant. So basically, Shia LaBeouf's friend was trying to find some artifact. You might have to fill the dots in here because I think I've got this. He was trying to find an artifact, but he was kidnapped and with his mother, and he's all like. Hey, Indy, you knew my dad and mum. Can you help? Is that is that correct? Or is this yeah, just... Yeah, so jo John Hurt is like an old friend of, of Indy's and And an old Marian's. friend of everyone. Rest in peace, John Hurt. Mine too, yeah. Uh, <laughs> he was that guy who's like, oh, that scene where he's like, Marcus and dad both died. That was my friend. Do you remember the but, show uh, The Storyteller that he used to be in? No, is that, is that the Jim Henson one? Yeah. Brilliant show. Oh, okay, yeah. I used to love that. I think that I've seen it once upon a time. I didn't realize he was in it. I think he's the but, narrator. Um, he's the guy who, like sits in the chair and like turns the page and reads you the he's story. He's the storyteller. Yeah, he is. I'm a storyteller. <laughs> but uh, yeah, John Hurt is like, I guess, the adopted, not adopted father, but like adopted grandfather, whatever you want to call it, like father figure to uh, Shia LaBeouf. And uh, he's, he's the one who got lost and basically said, you know, for the mom and him to kind of find Indy and then, Shiloh's the only one left. Okay, good. Good to know. So they're um they're sitting there having a chat and he's filling him in. And cause it's as Colin said, it's the fifties. Let's be reminded of the fifties. So Greece. Uh, <laughs> basically. And what do they say? Like 
grease balls and and whatever it is where they're basically all like what what, what are they called like because you've got like the the grease, greasers greases and, and uh, what's the other one called i don't know preppies i don't Pre- know, I don't know. <laughs> like this is the thing which i can see people complaining about because basically they're being watched by some men so they're kind of like oh and it's like oh I'm going to get you out of here. So he punches a guy. That's my boyfriend. <laughs> but I just like, it's again, it's cheesy, but like, this is the first three films. It's kind of, I love this standoff yeah. between like the greasers and like the preppies. And they're just all staring at all these guys are like M on their shirt. And all these guys are leather jackets are like combing their hair, like James Dean style. I just, it's hilarious. And then just kind of get into this bar fight and it leads into like a car chase. And this is like one of the first lines where does he keep calling grandpa? It's like, get on the back, yeah. Grandpa. Gramps. Gramps. Um, the, the one complaint I will have in this film is the reveal that, like, this is father and son, and they're just, like, accept it within two seconds and just move on. Like, that, that to me, is a bit like, mm, okay. I think that's some of the most... But that's that's some of the, the, the most entertaining... Oh dialogue you get is don't let the kids see mom and dad fighting no like, i i agree with you because i love like the the change of chew when he goes from like ah school who cares like you're yeah. getting out of school like i just <laughs> i just think that's a bit like click the fingers he's on board with it you know what i mean so that's anyway but an interesting car chase here again like action 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 they go through the university we get the better off dead than red like this whole you know communism scare uh, we've got the Marcus statue here and the head in the crutch because he w- went on to be dean of the school, basically. I do kind of like when Shia LaBeouf like, has a bit of a laugh and he's like, hmm, you know. And then I love it when they go to the library. And what's this? Like, uh, uh, Dr. Jones, uh, just uh, to confirm on the uh, paleological theme of the essay that you want us to write. <laughs> he's just like, get out there in the field. Stop being in the library. <laughs> like, were they setting this guy up to be like the next Indiana Jones, basically? Um, so Shia LaBeouf gives him like a book and it's got all symbols and this is going to lead them to a supposed lost tribe in the Amazon, essentially. So this is where he believes John Hurt has been searching and they're going to go fly there, fly there. We get the red line flying, uh, India sleep on the uh, plane again. Is this a whole sequence where it's like, and they land and he's talking to the the guy in Spanish or it's not Spanish, it's a different Mm -hmm. language. And then this is where he's kind of like, oh, so school, huh? It's like, yeah, I pulled yeah. out. It's just old books and stuff. I want to be a motor mechanic. And it's like, oh, you know. And again, this is kind of alluding to later on when it's going to be basically like, ah, you don't need school, kid. And then later on, it's kind of like, stay in school. You're an idiot. <laughs> um, so they get walked into this building where they find John Hurt's like being painting the walls with graffiti. He's gone crazy. And there's all these like skulls on there. And we get a bit of talk about crystal skulls. You know, there's a few of them in history. So um, these are kind of what, uh, you know, we're going to look for. So they get taken to this uh, tomb area where they've got, uh, I guess, locals with skulls on their face and there's a dart being stabbed in his throat and all this kind of fun stuff. It's an it's a, it's a interesting fight sequence. Indy just kills, throat kills a guy. It's kind of freaky as well. Like, you know, we need, yeah. we need that freakiness in an Indiana Jones movie. And we also need, like, bugs and, like, I love kind of like how you have like one's got rats, one's got spiders, you know, one's got bugs. This one's kind of got ants. And I guess I like this scorpion section where there's like a scorpion on Shia LaBeouf. And it's like, Ooh! it's like, was that a big one? And it's like, scorpions yes. on Shia LaBeouf. <laughs> Stabbing him in the kidney. Actual <laughs> scorpion Shia LaBeouf. <laughs> oh, it's so good. Um, I also love the moment here when they're going through like the cabin and he, he stops to get a comb out. 
does his hair, yeah. you know, like, oh, so if you could go back into any time and live, like what time would you live? Would you live in the fifties? So you could be cool and comb your hair. Uh, like, I don't think I'd want to live in any era other than just to see certain things. I mean, I, I, I would hate to live in the late sixties. And the fact that I would love to see like the, the Apollo program, like the space race, uh, if you're looking at a time period, what would be cool to actually live in? I mean, the 50s probably would be it, right? Because it was still innocent, yet it was a uh, was a little bit cool. Yeah, but like that's the thing. I th- I picture you living in an innocent time when like sex wasn't a thing. <laughs> Pleasant Village, yeah, yeah, Pleasant Village. Oh, when are we doing Pleasant Village? What a movie! Tobey Maguire, great movie. Oh God, yeah. I love that film. Um, so they're going through this uh, tomb. There's skeletons. Uh, there's traps. There's spider webs. Uh, and then they find this is where they find the crystal skull. Isn't it? Oh, they find like the I like actually I remember this scene from the movie when I see it when they open like this like sarcophagus up and you've got this like well preserved body. It's like oh he's like he died yeah. yesterday and then he's like no he died like five thousand years ago. He's been perfectly like you know mummified and then his face like all of a sudden goes like, <laughs> like air, what does he say like the air disagrees with him or something like that, yeah. which is kind of cool. Um, so yeah, they find the crystal skull here. Which again, it very much looks like an alien head, so uh, kind of there. But it's like, well, it's magnetic. Um, it is like like lead and steel and everything. He's getting cancer and AIDS off all of this, everything along those lines. But he's got his crystal skull. But as he leaves, uh oh, the Russians have followed them. Those damn evil. Did you know they're evil? Those Russians. They, <laughs> they weren't. They weren't good in the fifties. <laughs> Which I mean, matter of perspective, if you were Russian in the fifties, the Americans were evil. So. Yeah. Just saying. From my point of view, the Americans are evil. <laughs> well, then you are lost. Uh, like, I, I, I'm an equal opportunity evil person. Uh, <laughs> you know, we just happen to be allied with the Americans. If this was like Oz Network Russia, we'd be, <laughs> we'd be like, classic American propaganda film claiming we are evil. Uh, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I'd love to hear the Russian podcast network. What is it? What? <laughs> What a good old Russian podcast. Yes, welcome to day 73 of Ukraine invasion. Screw the West. We are Russia. Please be the Putin. Our leaders look good with shirts off. Take off your shirt, Biden. (laughs) All those, you know, corrupt Western officials saying we drug cheats. Let me inject something so these podcasts better. Uh, Welcome to international podcasts uh, from Russia. (laughs) We are legally not allowed to call ourselves Russians. Um, did, did you know that the Americans were bad? <laughs> yeah. Did you know this? <laughs> they they nuclear bombed Japan. Japan were innocent. <laughs> does that? <laughs> Who does that? Evil. We never nuked anyone. But, but that's, I mean, that's a valid excuse if you're Russian. Like, yes, yeah, exactly. we, we test the bomb, but we never nuke anyone. America <laughs> twice. Hello, we're good. Uh, did I just solve world peace? <laughs> you did. <laughs> like, come on, everyone. Stop sucking up to the Americans. They, they nuked two cities like 70 years ago. They haven't done it since. Move on. Join Russia. You know, join Russia. What? <laughs> Am I getting arrested tomorrow? Am Are I you getting... communist overlords? <laughs> like... I mean, I, I honestly, like, if Russia knocked on my door right now, like, Ben, we hear you'll like us. I'm like, yeah, sure, right? I can obey orders. <laughs> <laughs> What's the old saying? Like, if they ask you to jump, you don't say why. You say how high. How yeah, high, right. yeah. <laughs> I can do it. That's, I'm a yes man. Easy. Um, hello to our Russian listeners. 
Uh, we love you. And Americans too. Please don't nuke me. Um, <laughs> too soon? Uh, so anyway, uh, Indy's uh, captured. Kate Blanchett is going to interrogate him. They connect him up to the Crystal Skull to test its powers. We find out that John Hurt's gone psycho gaga because of the Crystal Skull, basically. And also, we find out that Shia LaBeouf's mum here, and who is it? Drum roll, it's TV of movies, Karen Allen. <laughs> there she is. Which, I'm going to say how dumb I was into this. It took me about, like, I don't know, two-thirds of this movie to go, is she in one of the Indiana Jones movies? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It clearly showed how much I remember. Maybe I didn't rewatch these leading into this because for some reason I'm just like, okay, who's this meant to be? And then I'm like, wait a minute. (laughs) She was in an Indiana Jones movie. Which, I mean, was this advertised? I don't remember if this was that. So it was. Okay, so we were aware. She's on the poster even. Oh, well. Which I wish it was. I wish there was a way they could have avoided this, you know? Because I think that it, it loses. It's like we talked about this in The Flash about Supergirl's character. It's like, yeah, you get why they promoted it, but like, how much better would it have been if you didn't know? Yeah. So anyway, I mean, it's kind of cool. And she looks great. Uh, you know, like what 40, uh, 40, 27 years after her first appearance, which yeah, well, I think we went over a little bit of her filmography, but she didn't really go on to other massive things, did she? After indie, yeah, nothing at like indie level, no. Yeah. So there you go. But I mean, again, maybe one of my key criticisms I keep bringing up. Is she needed in this movie? What does she really achieve? (laughs) I was talking about this with Jamie. Like, I love that they brought her back. It's fun to see her again, but it was never an intentional thing uh, to have returning characters. In fact, that's one of the things George Lucas kind of fought with from the beginning was that he didn't want to be bringing back characters. Uh, And uh, in a way, I think it actually fits better. Like, when you look at all these movies, you know, Indy's got... Sala as a sidekick in the first one. He's got Short Round in the second. He's got his dad in the third. He's got his son in the fourth. And you never really bring characters back. And and bringing her back, it, it almost breaks the formula of Indiana Jones, a formula you didn't know existed. Yeah. I, I mean, again, I'm, I'm all on board for her being back, but it's just kind of like this is maybe one of these older versions of fan service. Like, let's just bring her back yeah. because let's do it. And then it's just, again, I just don't know what does it achieve. Like, mm-hmm. you know. So anyway, um. She back great band. I mean, again, great chemistry between these two. They're still fantastic with each other. You feel it, and we kind of obviously learn that what they were about to get married, and he left, and she mm-hmm. went and fucked another guy. And cool. Um, I, the one thing I really like about this next sequence, though, is I kind of like how you've got like John Hurt like drawing this. You know, this is where it is. This is where you got to find it. This is where you got to take the skull and do all this sort of stuff. And you kind of expect this elaborate like whole thing because even Indy's going like, no, we've got to go here, we've got to go there. And Charlotte Buff is just like, psych! And then they just like start burning <laughs> shit and they just run away. It's like, I even I forgot this happened. I'm like, oh, cool, that's kind of unexpected. Like, it's kind of a cool little way of doing it. So they run away and escape and get stuck in quicksand. <laughs> I love this because what, what is he like? Like, oh, it's not quicksand because actually blah, 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 blah. You know, this is, only, sand pit, yeah. this is only going to be bad if and all of a sudden it was like exploding sand pockets or something like, oh, that's not good. Um, yeah. So this is where Karen Allen decides to tell Harrison Ford that Shia LaBeouf is their son. That's actually what happened in real life. Um, sorry, <laughs> Calista Flockhart. Actually, just on a side tangent, did you see all that press this week about that photo of Calista Flockhart and everyone was like, oh, she's unrecognizable. She looks so different. What has she done to her face? As soon as like somebody shared a photo and said, like, can you guess who this for- this you know former A-lister is now who's completely unrecognizable? I straight away looked at him like, it's Calista Flockhart. 
And everyone's like, she's unrecognizable. I'm like, no, she isn't. That's clearly Calista Flockhart. And everyone's like, oh, what has she done? It's not freaking Jennifer Grey when she got yeah. a nose job and you couldn't recognize. I, I can't recognize Jennifer Grey today. But, like, that clearly was Calista Flockhart. It, it's 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 like when Renee Zellweger a couple years yeah. ago, she'd been out of the limelight for a few years. And people are like, how much surgery has she had? And you look and you're like, she hasn't had any. She's lost this weight. Is what age, it's what aging looks like. Mm. Um, I'd like to see if I can find this picture. Um, I'll see, if you can't find it, I'll see if I can send it is to it you. Is it from K- Oh, well, here's one from them at Cannes. So I'm going to It's either that. at Cannes or just at the indie premiere, which did you yeah, see? She, she, this looks a couple years older. I mean, it, she hasn't acted in, I don't know. She did like the first two seasons of Supergirl or something like that. And that mm. was like 10 years ago. So if you haven't seen her in five to 10 years, then maybe, yes, she does look like a different person. But no, there's nothing wrong. Kihu Kwan, did you see the uh, the premiere when he stuck oh. up on Harrison and gave him a cuddle? Oh. I, I actually, now we've seen so much of this now with these two guys together. Uh, Kihu Kwan actually had an interview where he told the story. But the first time he saw him, which was at like uh, the Disney uh, convention or whatever that they have every year. And he said he he was coming out of his hotel hotel room and walking down the hallway and he saw Harrison Ford coming out of his. And he was just sort of like slowly going towards him because he's like, he had that Harrison Ford grumpy look that everybody knows. <laughs> and then all of a sudden he looked at me and he pointed and he still had the grumpy look. And I'm like, he thinks I'm a fan. He's about to tell me to go away. And all of a sudden he goes, you, are you short round? <laughs> And then Kiyu Kwan says, and, and he's like, and suddenly I drew a blank and I was instantly back in 1984. And all I could do is tense up and go, yes, Indy. <laughs> and then all of a sudden he's like, he just grabbed me. It's like, oh, so good to see you. The, These two guys, this is like the new bromance of Hollywood. Like, I love them. The, the, the untold story of that is Harrison Ford went about to about 17 different Asian guys previously. And go, are you sure? <laughs> are you sure? He still didn't even know his name. Short round. <laughs> are you sure? He's actually done that to every Asian guy between 1984 and 2008. <laughs> and he finally got it right. <laughs> which i just want to say like i love this like thing with Har- grumpy harrison ford the, the thing i find with grumpy harrison ford it's not like scary like he just looks like he would yeah. be a nice grumpy like we've all got exactly an older He's relative yeah we've got that older relative is a bit grumpy but like they're not actually grumpy they're kind of just like mm-hmm. me i'm fun grumpy i'm a grumpy shit but like deep down i'm a softy right maybe i don't know yes um, yes by the uh, way, I just I just looked up this picture. Calista Flocker looks fantastic. Yeah, I just I don't know I don't, what people are talking about. There's all these like just negativity around it, and just it's like what so what like she's letting herself age naturally. She dyes her hair, and that's it. Yeah, married to Harrison Ford for like twenty or thirty years, you know, mm-hmm. like. But um, anyway, so this is where it's like, yep, he's your son, and this is where straight away he's kind of like. And you're leaving school? Like, you should go back to school. <laughs> but I also love this, like, whole section with the snake. And they're like, oh, it's a, you know, a boa constrictor. It's not poisonous. It's like, no, no, throw me a rope. There's no rope or anything. Catch the snake. Don't call it that. Call it a rope. What? Just say, catch the rope. And it's like, grab the rope. Which, the one thing I will question, though, he's stuck that deep and they pull him out. This snake should be ripping in half. That is one strong <laughs> snake. Um, but it's it's kind of funny. I do kind of like the way they get out there, and I love it when they're in the back of the car, and it's sort of like, why didn't you tell me I had a son? It's like, well, I only told you because I thought we were going to die. <laughs> um, which, again, slight criticism that he's kind of like that accepting of it quite quickly, but, you know, it happens. I might just like literally skip to the waterfall when they're at the end of it here because this is just an elongated action sequence. There's fun fighting. Um, I miss one scene that I actually really love when he tells... Um, 
Ray Winston when he's like, when I get out of this chair, I'm going to break your nose. And then like 10 minutes later, he punches him. He's like, oh, you broke my nose. <laughs> and it's like, I told you, uh, which I think is funny. But I love this like chase through the jungle. It reminds me a lot of Raiders when they're kind of going over the cliffs and mm-hmm. everything along those lines. They've got the skull that's like back and forth thing. You've got Shia LaBeouf and Kate Blanchett, you know, die another day, sword fighting style. They've got leg splits going on. Uh, there's a bit of a fight with Karen Allen and Kate Blanchett. Uh, and then you've sort of got this unleash the ant section, which is going to happen. But the big criticism, this is part two that this movie gets. Well, part three, because you've got gophers nuke the fridge. And then the next bit that everybody hates on is Shia LaBeouf swings with the monkeys in the trees. Now, okay. This, like, the special effects aren't fantastic. We will admit that. But as I alluded to earlier, it's the time period. I don't remember watching mm. this live going, oh, that looks disgusting. Like, yeah. the only time I've ever done that, I think, in a cinema was literally die another day with a surfing sequence. <laughs> but, like, this is just, like, like it's, it's silly. But, again, it's no different to anything else we've had in an Indiana Jones movie. And what they can do in these films and people like complain about the prequels. Oh, it's just them in front of a blue screen for like two hours. Like they've got technology. They're going to try what they can do in 1980 when they go, Oh, we've got some cool practical effects. We can make a face melt, which now 40 years later doesn't look fantastic. But at the time they're like, wow, like what's the famous movie with the skeleton sword fighting? Like the oh, Jason and the Argonauts. Like, they had the technology to do that, and it's considered groundbreaking. That the very yeah. that very first famous film of the moon, like winking with like the t- like. Again, in hindsight, it looks shit, but like at the time, it's incredible mm. what they can do. So, like at the time, this is what they could do. So they gave it a crack, and okay, it hasn't stood the test of time. But like, what is different to this than anything else we have already talked about? For God's sakes, let just let it go. He swings with some fucking monkeys, all right? Shia LaBeouf, he's swinging with the monkeys. Shia LaBeouf, <laughs> falling on a vine now. <laughs> Get over the CGI. It's Shia LaBeouf. Um, they unleash the ants. Unleash the ants. There's people getting eaten by ants, and uh, they then escape on a boat. And, like, why doesn't this get criticism? They're like, oh, there's, like, three drops. Like, what are you talking about? It's like, one, ah, two, ah. And then this giant fucking waterfall, which they are dead. But then they just basically get out of it and go, lol, that was a close call. Ha, lucky West, you know, got absolute plot armor and we can't die. Ha. Um, And so this is basically where they've, they've just miraculously arrived at the cave. Uh, so <laughs> I've covered, I think, an hour of the movie there, Colin. But again, as I keep saying, it's kind of just one straight action sequence. Yeah, uh, I just w- wanted to quickly go back to the uh, the FBI scene because, again, now that's that I'm thinking about this, yeah, <laughs> but now that I'm thinking about this more, like that is one of the things this movie's missing. Um, is th- because why introduce the FBI and this whole thing about the the Red Scare if you're not going to play up on it? And I really like that guy too, where he goes. Uh, you know, you you aided the uh, the the enemy uh, to steal something from our uh, uh, military base in the middle of the United States of America, my country, <laughs> <laughs> my country thing. I just love that. Uh, but also, as as a professor, a tenured professor uh, of university, the fact that he pronounces it nuclear mm. kind of bothered me. <laughs> nuclear. I survived a nuclear blast. <laughs> no, it's nuclear, Indy. Uh, uh, yeah, like there's. 
like when they have that protest, I think that's where, again, you're, you're okay, we get it. You're in the middle of the time period. It, and, and it probably does bother me more because, again, you just don't go anywhere with it after you, you know, leave the United States. And this should be something where the United States is following them. And that's something that they've never really done in the indie movies before. This movie starts very strong with that idea of this isn't just the, the U.S. like in Raiders. They want you to find this. It's like, no, the U.S. is actually kind of the bad guys now. Because, again, it's not about taking communism versus capitalism or anything like that. Uh, it's it's about, uh, you know, what the way the United States did treat the whole communism scare and the way they ended their own citizens' lives, that was kind of bad. You know, <laughs> it was bad. They put people in jail for no reason. <laughs> did you know about this? What did they do? That's terrible. <laughs> Did you know the Australians took away Indigenous children and wanted to make them white? (laughs) That's bad. What did Canada do with this? Sorry. (laughs) You touch on it and then you don't go anywhere. And I think that's probably what bothers me more than anything. Um, Yeah, I I like you mentioned the the flirting between him and uh, the (laughs) Jim uh, Jim Broadbent here. Especially the part where, uh, like, he's getting upset with him originally. They're having a little lover spat, and he's like, "What did you give up?" He's like, "I resign." Which is that's the moment where I'm like, I could picture Connery saying that line. Mm. Uh, But later on, where he's like, "Oh, you know, I'm so sorry I doubted you, my old friend." (laughs) It's it's a little bit, you know. Okay, you guys got something going on here. Uh, But uh, I I love the line that Jim Broadbent has too. It's like we're at that age where life stops giving you things and starts taking it away. Mm. Uh, I was reading, I think it's one of the things that uh, Wikipedia page says, oh, the the movie received criticism for the dialogue. And I'm like, if anything, the dialogue is what I want to give the most compliments to me. The dialogue's fantastic. And David kept the screenwriters, the same guy wrote like the the first two Jurassic Park movies. You know, Mm. I mean, he's done Mission Impossible, Jurassic Park, everything. Uh, What's funny is that... uh, the the original screenwriter of this was Frank Darabont, who's um, the guy who did the Shawshank Redemption, the Green Mile, uh, and he got his start on Young Indiana Jones. So it's something he knew. And when King of Crystal Skull came out, all anybody on the internet was saying, it's like, oh, I bet you the Frank Darabont script was better because you have the beloved guy who made the Shawshank Redemption. You know, there's no way that uh, it, it could have been worse than this. And it took like a year or so for that script to get leaked online. And then the script got leaked online and all of a sudden fans were like, I actually think King of Crystal Skull was the better one. So I, I love, I've never gone back and read it, but I would love to see it because I actually think that, like, especially the dialogue in this movie is fantastic. Like, they, they get all the characters and then the the, the, the banter between everybody. And, and he gets a banter with everybody in this movie. Yeah. And you know, he, and so much is his performance as well. But, I mean, like, I, the, the scenes he has with Jim Broadbent here and the way they play on the age is fantastic. Um, the introduction to Shia LaBeouf, it's like, if there's anything I'm going to criticize Spielberg for in this movie, it's that... It's a little bit too cinematic that doesn't really fit the rest of the series. Like, I know we got, like, Sean Connery's introduction with, like, just the the vase being smashed and then he steps into camera. But, like, every character in this movie gets, like, the dun-dun-dun. Like, let's pause. And the way that, like, Shia LaBeouf's riding the motorcycle and it's like, Hollywood superstar Shia LaBeouf. (laughs) Riding a motorcycle Shia LaBeouf. Um, it's a little bit too like, okay, this is a movie we get. There's, there's other moments later on. I have another one of the ones that kind of bothered me at the beginning was like when the guy goes down to tie his shoes and all of a sudden the guns start firing and then you just kind of zoom up on them. It's like uh, a little, getting a little bit like fancy here with the camera work. Uh, but uh, when um, they, they have the, the meeting here and uh, he mentions like his mom and this is one of the reasons where I'm like, oh, it would have been a great surprise if you left Marion out of this because 
she her name isn't used. Her name he calls her Mary Williams here. Mm. And I love Indy's like, line. Which marries like, him or something, doesn't he? He's, he says there've been a lot of Marys, kid, and that's when he's like, "Hey, that's my mother you're talking about." <laughs> and one of the things they do well, even though it's not like let's just have lines addressing their age, like life starts taking stuff away from us, uh, or not as easy it used to be. Even little things like where he's like. You don't have to, you know, uh, get hot every time uh, you get upset just to prove how tough you are. Sit down. The way that he even talks to him is like a little bit like old man. And then we're going to get during the the action sequence here, like the motorcycle chase, uh, a little bit of like the nerdy indie, which is fun. Like when they're, when they're in the library and he's suddenly like, oh, it's not just he's like when the guy's asking him the questions after he crashed in a library. Dr. Jones, I had a question. He's actually getting said, oh, if you really want a good story, why don't you read this guy? He's a great scholar. This is He starts to take on a little bit of like Sean Connery's qualities of being like the bookworm dad. So it's something else they kind of play up on with his age in this movie. But I mean, I, I'm, I'm kind of more opposed to this whole Greece West Side Story brawl than anything else. <laughs> uh, I, I like Indy just telling him, punch this guy in the Joe College here, punch him in the face or whatever. <laughs> and then that starts a fight as an escape. But the way that they have that shot again, Spielberg getting very fancy here, where you get the all of the the <laughs> leather jacket guys lining up, and then you get all the college guys lining up. It's like that's too much. Come on, he was making West Side Story like twenty years ahead of his time here. <laughs> um, well, they do identify the college here. I don't know if you see Marshall College is the the name on the jacket. We talked about this during Last Crusade, where I'm like, I, I I'm like, I think that there's a name of his college, but I couldn't remember it. Um, I thought it might have been Princeton because that's where like the, the dad was supposed to teach. Is this a but, real uh, college or is it a fake college? It's fictional, but yes. it, it's funny because I watched the making of last night and Frank Marshall, uh, it's named after him. And he even says, at some point over the years, we unofficially gave the name Marshall College named after him. He's like, but I can't even remember when. So I don't know if 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 it's maybe something in the background in Last Crusade that they, they see it, but they filmed this at Yale. This was yeah. all at Yale where they basically just replaced... You know, I'm very familiar with it, Colin. I, I I saw it straight away. You must have been, yes. Uh, but I mean, it, the sad thing is, this is one of the only locations we get in this movie. And I think I, I complained about that last time. Um, that uh, it, we get a lot of soundstage action sequences or things just subbing in, and we don't really get to explore the world in this movie. But we do get like these are real streets that they're on. They're they're in real Yale College filming this action sequence, and it is fun. I mean, I I don't I don't care for all of the slapstick stuff in this movie, but I also don't care for all the slapstick stuff in any of the indie movies. Um, the part, especially where the motorcycle sliding through the library, like that's, a, it's a great stunt and everything. And, and also Shia LaBeouf and Harrison Ford, they did a lot of this riding for real. Like, yeah. You're obviously going to film some of the more dangerous stuff where Harrison Ford's like getting pulled off of my, my, my I was going to say microphone. Yes. <laughs> the motorcycle he's getting pulled off of it. You're going to, substitute that where they're they're maybe on like a, a, a trailer platform or anything but they wrote shia labeouf spent six weeks training how to handle this motorcycle and it was like a monster harley davidson motorcycle he had to learn how to ride this and it was it's really harrison ford and shia labeouf going through like the grounds of yale university on camera it's not stunt doubles for most of this um his knife trick uh, as well <laughs> shia labeouf brandishing a knife it's shia labeouf an actual yes. lyric <laughs> and he did that for real he he learned how to do that um they they do mention uh it, like his name here uh which is i think one of the other first signs that this might be his son where he says honey name is that he goes the name i pick for myself you have a problem with that he goes no <laughs> because <laughs> indy did the same thing um the uh uh, the the couple things they have in here, like I think this movie, as far as the plot goes, I complained about this a little bit um, last week 
like the Indiana Jones movies always take some real historical fact, some real archaeological stuff, and then they combine it with different myths, and then they combine it with some ideas of their own. But like this movie, it, it honestly just feels like such a hodgepodge, like Akator, the city that they're supposed to go after. It's not, it's a fictionalized city. They kind of base it on El Dorado, which is real, but then they even mentioned El Dorado in this movie. Like, I don't understand mm. the scene where he's like, oh, they called it El Dorado, or some people called it El Dorado. Then just say El Dorado, because there's some real historical basis for that. Yeah. And I don't know, it's not, you don't go to any real location in this movie. So why do they feel the need to, you know, come up with a fictional city, especially when the, the Crystal Skulls are the other problem. When they introduce the Crystal Skulls coming up here, when they get to Akator or whatever, uh, they even say, oh, it's like the Mitchell Hedges skull. Now, I actually found out a little bit about the, the real Crystal Skulls. This is one of the first young indie things they have in the movie. Uh, they had planned season three out for young Indiana Jones and the crystal skulls were going to factor into multiple episodes, uh, the real crystal skulls, because this is something like these two archeologists, Mitchell and hedges or whatever discovered and is a series of these crystal skulls that they just said, we don't know what they are. They're not magnetic. They're not like aliens or anything they're, They look like humans, but no technology would have been able to actually replicate this during the day to the you know perfection that they're at. And if you're going to have that in the movie, but then say, oh, it's like this, but not. Like, you're basically telling the audience, we got this idea from something, but everything in this movie is fictional. So I kind of miss that there's at least the little, littlest bit of historical fact in this movie, because especially because you constantly keep addressing, oh, this is what the real history is, but it's not El Dorado. Oh, this is what the real Crystal Skull is, but it's not that. And um, just quickly on yeah, that, so the, the, the purpose of them getting the Crystal Skull and why Kate Blanchett wants it is because it, gives her like unlimited power psychic powers yeah but what what does so what are indian that trying to do with it just return it or well that's why they keep saying return uh I, that's the other thing with this movie is that yeah it's never it's never indie's obsession it's always somebody else who wants these things you know like in the mm. first movie it, it it was um like the arc wasn't his quest they just sort of like oh you kind of know about this he says well marion's father is the one who really knows oh guess what he's dead uh, it was the the tribal people in Temple of Doom. It was his dad, and then in this, it's like, oh, it's actually Oxley. But he does say in this movie, I was or we were obsessed with me and Oxley were obsessed with these in college. Uh, but uh, I guess that's the closest we ever get to this is his obsession. But then he basically says, oh, but there's nothing to them because I saw one of these things before. It's good craftsmanship, but that's it. But but this is where like I'm confused as to what he's even doing here. Because, like, it's sort of, it is, like, at least with the other ones, he seemingly is doing something to try and get something. Whereas, like, this one, it's like, it's not like he says, like, I've got to stop Kate Blanchett because she will do this. Like, it's kind of like, I don't know. Like, it just it just seems a bit random. Like, I'm just only just clicking now. Like, what what is Indy doing in this film with this? <laughs> like, I mean, it, it's... It belongs it's, in a museum. Like... Yeah, it's Oxley. He's after more than anything. He's trying to figure out what happened to this old friend of mine and, uh, you know, help this kid find his mom, who he doesn't know who it is yet. Uh, I, I, this is why I was saying him getting fired plays a lot uh, of a part in this, because I think to Indy, this is just sort of I'm going to go on kind of a fun adventure right now, you know. Uh, and a lot of the stuff he does in this movie, just his demeanor, especially when they get to Peru here, his demeanor of just kind of having fun with this is, I think, something that, again they could have done more with where he's been let go from this college he's like well, i got nothing better to do you know <laughs> and, and you're you're playing on him kind of being the old man as well where he's like oh you know this this is something i used to do more in my youth i don't get i don't get out of the library enough these <laughs> days 
Uh, I think there's some ideas here that they just didn't do enough with. That would kind of be my uh, theory here. But um, yeah, the, the the way he explains in this sequence uh, about Akator and the Crystal Skulls, he does mention the Nazca lines, which I don't know if you know anything about these two. This is one of the things that is real, which again, you could have done more with, especially this is an alien movie. These lines that he talks about in Peru, the Nazca lines, this is real. It's 100% real. They had a second unit go there to kind of film the aerial shots that you see. And this is something real where there are these extremely long lines that go for like kilometers long that create these artworks from the air. And it's basically oh, just lined right. up rocks. Um, but the theory that a lot of people have, and again, it's just a theory. They're like, oh, well, they never would have been, been able to see this from the air because they didn't have access to hot air balloons or anything like that. It's all flat, so there's no mountains. So why would they have built these things that can be seen from the air? And people say, well, maybe it was aliens. So they, they have this, this thing featured in the movie, a real location featured in this movie, that there are people who who connect this and say it's probably it's probably aliens, <laughs> but then you don't actually even discuss that in this movie. So it's this weird combination of we're going to ditch reality for fiction when the real stuff that you're mentioning in this movie you could still incorporate in here. Um, the so when they they arrive in Peru or whatever. Oh, also I should mention the. Uh, the part right at the end of the motorcycle chase, there's one part where Mutt has the smile after he made one of the guys crash. Yeah. And Indy just gives that look to him, which is an exact replication of uh, the motorcycle chase in Last Crusade where Indy's the one smiling and Henry's like, okay, moving on. <laughs> uh, yeah, so when they get to Peru here, first I love John Williams' score. I think this is one of his more underrated scores. Even just mm. the music of Peru. That's when uh, he's brandishing the knife, Shia LaBeouf, uh, doing his little <laughs> knife trick here. So it's this scene is probably the most important connection to young Indiana Jones because when he's speaking that language, he says, oh, where did you learn that language? He says, oh, I picked it up from Pancho Villa in Mexico. Uh, Pancho Villa is like a real Mexican revolutionary. And... Um, that was uh, one of the, I think it was the first episode that aired of uh, Young Indiana Jones, but it was like chronologically it takes place, you know, maybe a third of the way through where he's on spring break and he gets kidnapped by Pancho Villa and his people. He kind of inadvertently joins the revolution, although doesn't agree with them. And he leaves that to basically go off and join the war. So it's not just that he mentions the Pancho Villa episode of Young Indy here, which connects to his canon, but the whole context of the scene where they end up talking about yeah, you know, I dropped out of this school and then, you know, uh, I just want to build motorcycles. And he he says, oh, you know, uh, is that what you're going to do for the rest of your life? If that's what you want to do, then do it. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. That connects to that Pancho Villa episode at a young Indy as well, because what happens there is that he sees this revolution. He's like, you know, they're fighting for a cause. I don't agree with their cause, but there's a real war going on right now and I need to do that. And at the age of 16, Indiana, teenage Indiana Jones, literally doesn't even go home he just goes straight from mexico to europe lies about his age creates a false identity joins the war and never tells his dad and it's like throughout the course of the series there's multiple times where maybe he runs into somebody in europe who knows his father or he's writing home and not receiving responses basically saying sorry i did this it's something i felt i had to do so the whole context of what he's telling mutt is what he went through at that same age uh, and then of course you get that line about you know oh don't let anybody tell you otherwise what you love to do um the all the paintings on the wall like i i do like the way they build up john hurt's character and it's actually shia labeouf's performance where you see like he has tears in his eyes mm. where he's like what happened to you because it's it's an interesting idea that like this is an old friend of indies but um this kid has more of a connection to him than he has you know what sort of uh, connection you, well <laughs> we don't know 
uh, being we also Shia LaBeouf. <laughs> we're also uh, led to believe that Oxley knew about this. I, I want to find out more about their falling out, why they don't have it, because we're going to find <laughs> out when uh, Karen Allen's introduced here. Um, yeah, the rabid Peruvian ninjas are kind of fun here. <laughs> These guys, ah! <laughs> yeah, like you said, it is kind of freaky. Uh, this is where I think that there's the most fun that Harrison Ford's having. This is where you can see him as a guy who's basically ready to retire. This is my retirement. I'm not a teacher. That whole, you're a teacher part timeline. Uh, and then when he gets bit by the scorpion and he mm. goes, how big, huge, good. He goes, what do you mean? Good. He's like, uh, is it with scorpions, the bigger, the better. If a small one bites you, don't keep it to yourself. Uh, Jamie actually, true. yeah, Jamie looked that up and it's like, okay, the bigger they are, the less potent the venom is. Like so yeah, the smallest ones. Yeah, like the smallest ones are the more deadly ones. Because it's not um, those big giant like fucking bird eating tarantulas and stuff. They they can't kill you. I mean they can, but like I mean you got to be allergic. Bird, to Bird eating. Oh, bird eating. I thought you were talking about a, a bird tarantula cross. I wasn't sure what you were talking about. Well, there. bird eating spider. <laughs> yeah, uh, but uh, I do have one complaint with this movie. The way it looks, it's not a CGI thing. Obviously, they're not going to go to the Nazca lines for real. I don't even know if there really is a graveyard that overlooks the Nazca lines. Uh, but there's something very artificial looking about it. And it's not the sets. I think the sets look fantastic. But it's the cinematography in this movie that I think just looks too artificial. Mm. Um, and I, I, I wish I could pinpoint more what the problem is. But like the sets, especially when they get underground here into this tomb. I do love, though, like the the maze, the labyrinth they have to go through underground, especially that thing where Indy's crawling and then it like tips over and then he comes back and brings Shia LaBeouf in. Um, another thing where they're just incorporating too many things in here, like the, the conquistadors again, real things, but like it's a, this movie's a hodgepodge of history and nothing really feels like it, it needs to be in the same movie. Uh, I guess this Oriana guy, I don't know if he was a real guy or not. I do love later on where Ray Winstone mispronounced it conquistadors, or maybe it's supposed to be pronounced conquistadors, but, uh, uh, yeah, th this is kind of interesting where, where the coins are magnetic, but again, nothing else is magnetic. how this magnetism just <laughs> instantly switches on i don't know um the uh uh I, I guess where they escape here or not escape where they come out with the the crystal skull and then uh get kidnapped with uh karen allen i mean to me this is actually some of the most fun stuff in the movie and this is where the i think the psychic thing works better than if you had just done aliens and again not a problem with aliens but uh, <laughs> uh the psychic thing's probably better uh, they even start describing with um, the John Hurt that he had stared into the eyes too long and Harrison Ford just kind of like brushing off like, yeah, sure, whatever. And then when he starts staring at the skull, he's like getting a little bit transfixed. And Kate Blanchett, where she's uh, suddenly giving like this really creepy speech where she's talking about, you know, we're, we can basically reprogram you to be like us and you won't even know what happened. Like to me, that should be the thread of this movie. It's not, we want these psychic powers to win a war, or blow people up. It's like, we're literally going to turn you all into us. There's going to be no more fear of communism. You will be us, which was the fear of communism in the United States, which is why the FBI should be chasing him right now, because even <laughs> Cape Blanchett's plan is everything they're trying to actually uh, prevent here. Uh, the, um, uh, I guess, revelation of Karen Allen here. I mean, it's done. It's so obvious you know, when she comes in. Uh, I think it's probably even obvious before she comes in when they say Marion, audience is thinking Marion. You've seen her on the poster and everything. But the way they bring her in, and but without even seeing her, you're like, get your hands off me. You're like, okay, I know who that is. And I think she even has the same first line where it's like, Indiana Jones, yeah. which is exactly her first line, which she's in the first time. But I love all their, their arguing back and forth. 
uh the the escape here is uh uh fun where they're in the sand pit uh, as that's another one of the moments where he kind of turns nerdy sean connery here he goes no it's actually a dry sand pit now quicksand depending on the viscosity is not as dangerous as you think uh the, the whole snake and rope thing there was a real snake that they used in that scene it was not venomous but it's a real python uh and uh th- there's a hilarious behind the scenes clip where you know, obviously he's not in real quicksand there's a like a platform Aww. and they're trying to film the scene and he doesn't even have a grip of the snake yet, and he all of a sudden starts rising up, and Harrison Ford just sort of turns to the camera like, gives an <laughs> eyebrow <laughs> Great. It would have been good in the movie. But, uh, yeah, this is where he finds out that he's his son officially. And I, I, the way it's done, too, is like, again, the dialogue of this movie is great. He goes, uh, Mutt, I need to tell you something about him. It's like, oh, oh, he's a good kid. You ought to get off his back about school. It's like, his name's Henry. Henry, good name. Henry Jones the third. He's named after his father. And all of a sudden, it's like, why did you make him say this? <laughs> <laughs> um, and then they, they, they'll escape here with Oxley too. He's like, go for help, help, help. And then he comes back and he's got the Russians. He goes, help. And he's like, yes, help. Uh, yeah, the jungle chase. I have mixed feelings about this because I think there are moments where they film this in Hawaii. They, they use real locations. There's other parts where, particularly when they go over the cliffs, where it looks too artificial for me. And again, I, I completely get what you're saying. And I agree with it that like effects don't always hold up. It's like people have nostalgia for effects and there's going to be a generation where they look back on CGI that looks shoddy and they're like, oh, I still love it, even though it looks shoddy. But when you have real stunts and then all of a sudden you throw the CGI thing of them on the cliff, to me, it just takes you out of it. It takes all the tension out of it. So, and I don't even mind the swinging through the vines. Like there's certain things that you expect they're going to use effects for and there's other things you don't. It's like, Maybe if they hadn't been, again, maybe it's a cinematography thing. Maybe it's just the, the look of this movie looks too artificial. But there are great things in the truck chase here. Um, I don't even mind the whole sword fighting thing. The, the music cue here is amazing. Like John mm. Williams' score for this sequence especially, I think, is fantastic. Um, but, uh, and, and again, Shia LaBeouf, this is almost a, a throwback to the mine car with like being stretched from one to the other. Uh, and everybody gets a little something to do here. Uh, I, I do love, though, when they're um, crashing, they, they all have that moment after the, the truck chase where they're like, whoa, and then they're like, whoa, and then all of a sudden Harrison Ford sees her about to crash, like, whoa, <laughs> the triple whoa thing. Uh, I don't know about the ant scene. Uh, I, I This is creepy. another thing that gets too much criticism. It gets too much criticism, but like, oh, to me, it's maybe not creepy enough. Like, And I think it's the fact that like, these things aren't going to be swallowing people whole. Like they're the they, scarabs you know, in the mummy when they turn into like a mummified skeleton, or you know, in the mummy when all the yeah. scarabs crawl over the people. Yeah, and actually, there's a couple of parts in this movie that uh, I feel like they're maybe boring a little bit too liberally from the mummies. Maybe that is one of the other things that we, we've kind of seen this before, like with the scarabs. But I don't know. To me, there's something not creepy enough about it, and it, it's maybe just there's too many ants, or that they just swarm everybody all at once. Maybe if we saw it a little bit slower, if we saw a few bites or we saw somebody's arm just get engulfed and, and I don't know, it, maybe it's just not using real ants, which I don't expect them to actually cover a man in ants, oh. but every, everything else we've seen up to this point has been real. So this is where the CGI it's not the CGI doesn't work. It's that there's certain things that you can use effects for like a mine car chase, you know, we, we allow uh, effects, whether it's CGI or not, but then there's other things. So it's like, I want to see this for real because they always have done it for real. Um, uh, I don't know, the, the the thing where they crash over the cliff, like I agree with you, even just crashing into the tree and then just lightly gliding into the water, that's a little bit too much for me. Going over the waterfall, it's still fun. It's still an action movie, but I, I feel like this is the point in the movie where they're maybe throwing one too many things at the wall to see what sticks. And it's a little bit too fast-paced of, 
we got this and then we got this and then we got this. Um, I do love though, right after they go over the waterfalls and like you said, everybody's just okay, except for Karen Allen. Let's give her credit. She's clutching that wheel and laughing to herself. And then when they come up and tap her on the shoulder, she's suddenly like, oh, oh, like I wasn't terrified out of nowhere. Um, yeah, there, there's, there's some good stuff in here. There's some bad stuff, but I mean, overall, again, I don't really see it as very, being very different from Temple of Doom. Uh, I will question though, with, um, uh, the, the scene where she gives the, the backstory about how she met the father. Uh, I guess the not father, Colin Williams. Uh, there's a Colin Indiana Jones. There you go. Uh, but she basically says, oh, you left me right before the wedding or whatever. And then she says a year later he was born. She says, I met Colin three months after the you left me. So she basically met him and got married to him right it's basically the thing where she's like oh i i you know it, i didn't just rush into a relationship but if you actually work out the timeline that she gives she met this guy and got married to him like a day later <laughs> you know uh she was pregnant Eternity with, with test. yeah but but and there's obviously a reason for it but then she even says oxley did you ever wonder why oxley stopped talking to you and it's because oh he knew that you know this was your kid or that you left me before the wedding and this was your kid but then at the end of the movie when he calls him son or whatever, Ox is like, son? So why put that? I don't understand why that line needs to be in the movie about you had this falling out. Oxley stopped talking to you because of everything that happened with me and with, with Mutt and you not realizing you had a kid, but he knew. But, but then joke, he doesn't know later on. But it's a joke because he's like being brainwashed and he's all weird in this movie that maybe he doesn't remember. But but again, if you're going to do that, then don't have that scene at the end where he gets all of his memories back and even said, good to have you back. You know, so that that's probably one complaint I have. Although I do love the banter they have back and forth where, uh, first of all, where he he's saying, like, oh, are you still, Indy, are you still leaving a trail of human wreckage everywhere he goes? It's like, why? Are you looking for a date? And then later on where he's like, don't let the kids see mom and dad fighting. And it's like, uh, I'm, you're not my dad. You bet I am. And guess what? You're going back to school. <laughs> Uh, and then the best part, which, uh, and to me, I almost, I almost struggled with, do I like this or not like it? That they're suddenly just in love again after they argue, but that's the same way they were in Raiders of the Lost Ark. And they're yeah. falling out after the first one was just as bad. And it's like, uh, oh, of course there were other women, but uh, they all have the same problem. And she goes, what's that? They weren't you, babe. And then he gets out of the car. Jamie's just like, oh, that's so sweet. But again, it fits their characters so well. So I, I love that. Yeah. Uh, before we get, into the end two things i want to touch on that i didn't mention um that what's his face is all like oh i'm good i'm with the cia so he's now with indy and that so that's yeah important um because yeah he says something like uh like during the tent scene where indy says he's gonna break his nose he drops it like oh just like in berlin and then later on he's like i tried to tell you what were we in berlin he goes double agents yeah but like then he's not like, is this meant to be a thing? Like, it's just meant to be a fun little... I don't know. What, what, why? Yeah, I think it's... I mean, I think it's meant to have Indy trust him and then get betrayed again, but just kind of have it be in a fun way. Now you're a triple agent thing. Sure. Uh, and then the other bit, which we haven't mentioned, particularly about Kate Blanchett, did you know that she apparently, like, tried to um, base some of this on Rosa Klebb from, from Russia with Love? I read that, yeah. Which, that's kind of cool. James Bond <laughs> connection. <laughs> also um she she told the story on uh the the making of that uh the hair was her idea that she basically mm. started flipping through yearbooks from the 50s and she found both an american and a russian girl uh from like the same time period that had the exact same hairstyle she goes oh i'm gonna go with that i 
it, it, it's 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 a bad wig. <laughs> it's a wig that never <laughs> seems to move. <laughs> but it's also I I don't know like it's sort of it's interesting that she kind of used that as inspiration I guess and it also says on the Wikipedia page about how um I think it was Shia LaBeouf said that she was a bit uh, bizarre on set that she was a bit uh, elusive. That uh, and she was like obviously staying a bit in character, I think, and kind of just uh, yeah didn't really associate well, too much with uh, the other cast members. I don't remember if it's there or if I read the trivia somewhere else, but uh, I mean, she basically stayed in the costume and stayed in the wig all the time. And they were like several weeks into filming, and one day she was just herself on the set, and Harrison Ford is asking Spielberg, "Is like." who's the blonde? And it's like, that's Kate. She's been in every scene with you. Oh, okay. That's Kate Blanchett Academy Award winner. Something that you never heard of her. And one thing too, which I, I haven't really mentioned in this recording, the, the honest trailer, which of course, you know, really pokes fun of it. This movie, of course it does. But um, this, I mean, talk about the outlandish things again, like this whole bit where I've gone about over like the waterfalls and that sort of stuff. But like, should really mention they're in a car this whole time that just kind of turns into a boat and it's fine. Um, so it's yeah. just like, okay, yep, that's that's okay. Wait, I mean, I, when they first get into that vehicle, I remember looking at it saying, "Is like that looks almost like a boat? Like, what kind of car is that?" But like, Marion doesn't really know that. So I mean, mm. how she just immediately knows, trust me, Indy, and then she drives over a cliff, perfectly aims into the tree, and then the tree perfectly bends into the water, and she's like, "See, told you." This is one thing, though, that as a Bond fan, we have seen in Bond films. You know, we've seen double decker buses yeah. get taken off. We've seen taxis in Paris get split in half and still be drivable. So, uh, yeah, well, who am I to complain? Um, I think honestly, this last bit is going to be a breeze because literally they find the tomb or the cavern or the whatever the hell this is, the place where they've got to be. And essentially, they found all the carvings on the wall to get through the wall. Did you call it a cabin? A cavern. Ca- cavern? Oh, a cavern. Okay. Cavern. I thought you said cabin. Yeah, it's cavern. <laughs> this is where I went camping as a kid. You know, just it's, put the kids in the cabin. Cheryl, let's go there. Um, so they've got all the carvings on the wall. And to get through this, they've got to put the crystal skull in the bit. Which actually, another thing to the Honest Trailer points out, which is a good point. Was it the Honest Trailer or the uh, pitch meeting where they basically say, this skull, how you, you talked before earlier about like the magnetism and everything. Like, why is this skull magnetic, magnetic, like for five minutes, but then all of a sudden it's not? Like, mm-hmm. shouldn't everything, like, it's just plot's got a plot, I guess. Um, so puts in the wall, they go into this room. Um, everyone's uh excited to see that there's treasure and everything, but actually, no, this is where they chase out first, isn't it? I'm, I've jumped ahead a little bit there, so that they, they're chased out by. Aztec people, Mayans, is that politically correct? I, native people of the Amazon? Um, yeah, well, they never really identify where they are specifically at this point. Yeah, okay. So, like, they, they look like people of that descent of of Central American or South American origin. Okay? <laughs> if you are of that descent and I'm offensive, contact Steven Spielberg. Um, they come running out... <laughs> And we find out they've had a tracker in them, basically. So Kate Blanchett's put a tracker in them, and that's how they've been able to find them. So they're going to go into this uh, cabin. 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 <laughs> go into the cabin. They fall back down. I do like this bit when they fall into like the water, and then Indy and Marion are about to kiss. And then Shia LaBeouf's like, hey, skeleton! It's <laughs> <laughs> funny. Um... But essentially, they're going to find this room. There's gold everywhere. They're excited. 
Uh, and then they're going to find this room. It's filled with aliens, skeletons, or interdimensional beings. Sorry. Um, why did, like, how did this skull get out? And, like, is it ever explained why this skull was removed? And then you've got to bring yeah. it back? I think it's the the conquistadors, like Oriana and the conquistadors is are the ones who had originally found this and taken it, uh, and that's what they're sort of after. I mean, it's like in the um, Last Crusade where they said these three knights found the Holy Grail, and then you know only one of them came out of the desert alive, but obviously the other one had stayed behind. So they came out, they didn't take it back, but they just sort of shut themselves up in the the Nazca Lines cemetery and. <laughs> The, the, wait, I didn't even mention this. In the Nazca line sequence, so they're all buried there, mummified themselves or wrapped themselves and everything. Who did the wrappings? Like, who was left alive? There's not one M &M. corpse there. Yeah, who's... But, but like, even Rapping. in Last Crusade... Oh, I get it now. Oh, that's... <laughs> that was very appropriate. That wasn't the right one. That's they're coming for you. They're coming for you, Ben. That was so bad. They're coming for you. Uh, but like in Last Crusade, at least they say, oh, yeah, three brothers went in the desert. Only one came out alive, implying somebody left. But like you can't have, I don't know, I think they even counted seven people mm. who are all wrapped up and dead without one person there to wrap them. I did, but uh, yeah, that's a good point. But I, I'm just still so confused about the reasoning for this. Cause like, at least with like the Ark of the Covenant, like it was all like, what? Oh, the freaking um, 10 commandments and this can bring you power and shit. Like the mm -hmm. last crusade was the Holy Grail, Temple of Doom, sure shit happened there. But like, what, like, what is the purpose of like, Kate Blanchett wants it cause it gives her psychic abilities, but it's, do you not need a line where it's kind of like, with these psychic abilities, I can take over the world? Like, I don't know. Like, it's cause well, even when she's getting everything into her head, she's like, I want to know everything. Well, everything? Like, do you want to know the schematics of a Toyota Corolla 1992? <laughs> like, I mean, is that what you want? Like, I mean, I don't. What is everything? Like, ah, I know when I'm going to die. And like, ah, I, I, I know the meaning of life and it's terrible. Like, do you really yeah. want to know everything? No, I see. That's where I'm going to start to have a bit of a problem. Is that they they throw so many things into this story, and then they explain I think the wrong things, whereas they should have just explained some other things. Like she did have that scene earlier on where Indy was forced to stare into the skull, and she was saying, "Okay, we're going to use this to basically take over you, and you're going to turn into us." Like mm. uh, that, the whole communism scare. Oh, if, you, if you're exposed to them, then you're going to become a communist too. Yeah, because like I mean, at least with like the Nazis, it's kind of like explained in a way that it's like, well, as Stephen Thurberg discovered after Schindler's List, they're bad. So it's kind of like <laughs> we can't we can't have them having the fountain of youth, and we can't have them this and that because like Nazis bad. Nazis will do bad things mm. with that. Like. Should there not just be a line here of like, oh, shit, if the communists have unlimited power and knowledge, then that's bad. Like, I don't know. Like, I feel like, like there's just some something missing here to make this because I just feel this is meaningless because it's like literally yeah. they show up here and I know I'm jumping ahead. She dies, flying saucer, and then it's like, oh, well, let's get married. Like, I mean, a flying saucer. Like, should they not be like, well, fuck, aliens exist. Like, yeah. <laughs> that's kind of cool, isn't it? Let's, let's go tell some people. But, but. The biggest problem for me is the fact that she keeps saying, I want to know everything. But at this point, she only thinks these skulls are not alive hmm. and that they, they will allow you to have these psychic powers. It's only after everything happens where Indy's like, oh, 
what they had was knowledge. They could give you knowledge. She has no clue about that at this point. Yeah. All she's seen is that if you stare into this thing too long, you turn into crazy John Hurt. <laughs> Which it's, it's, it's a disease that some people get. <laughs> okay. I got uh, crazy John Hurt. I got crazy I've been John Hurt. I've been diagnosed positive crazy John Hurt. Oh, I've got crazy John Hurt. Um, but I mean, like literally there's not a whole lot to talk about here because again, like... no. Um, what's his face? Mac is all like, oh, gold, I'm rich. And then Kate Blanchett's like, give me the skull. Oh, I want to know everything. Power, power. And I will say, like, as much as I'm, like, quote, defending the special effects in a way as a product of its time, the one bit that gives me the heebie-jeebies, it's a bit like, ugh. And even when I watched it at the cinema, I was like, oh, I don't know about that, is when all the skeletons turn into this alien and this alien kind of stares in the camera, kind of leans forward and yeah. almost... Yeah, oh. Like, there's something about that shot, like, you too? Like, it just pisses you off? Yeah. Like, it's weird. That's, that's what I uh, I told Jamie that was my biggest problem with this movie. I'm like, I don't have a problem with the aliens. I just think there was a better way to do that final shot because, A, how are they all merging together and coming back alive? Yeah. And if this is what they're able to do, we know that all of them were there yeah. before the conquistadors took the one skull. So why did they not do this before? There's no brain or no mind inside the skull. We just see it's a skull. Yeah. It, it, none of it makes any sense. And then the shot looks so bad. Uh, you could have done, you could have, this is like where Steven Spielberg becomes the issue because uh, I, the Lost World was an example of, you know, you, you probably shouldn't have gone to San Diego and then you probably shouldn't have done this and this and this, but like, a, do you ever see AI, artificial intelligence? Oh, I have, but it's been a long time. I can't really remember it. Like similar complaint people had about that. It's like, okay, you could have ended the movie here, but no, mm. we got another ending. And I complained about that with the Fablemans. It's like, okay, how many endings are you going to have when each one's subsequently getting worse and worse? This, you could have just had it where the head reattaches and it all starts to glow. And it's something about these things being together where it destroys it or the ship goes back. And then you could have had it where they all start merging again, but then you have to have it where they all start merging and then they form a living body with flesh again. Yeah. One of them, not 12. And then it leans toward the camera and basically uh, duplicates the Jurassic Park three shot where you have what the, 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 the Brachiosaurus. Brachios. Yeah, you're yeah, right. Yeah. Comes up, Wink! <laughs> oh yeah. And it's just like, it just, it looks odd and it just feels so out of place. And that is the one that I've seen complaints of. I'm like, yeah, okay. I'm on board with that. That, just doesn't yeah. fit even like i always had a memory that kate blanchett's like eyes and everything i thought that was more of like a almost like a raiders or a, a last crusade like rah, 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 like, like on fire yeah yeah but like it's just literally like bit of fire boom she like turns yeah. into dust i like i always thought there was more to it um and that's that's my other complaint with this is that when you look at typical indie movies, you leave the mystery of what it is that's causing this at the end you know mm. raiders you see some images of ghosts and stuff like that, but it's like, but what are they? And then what? why is everything happening to everybody else? Temple of Doom, the thing just starts glowing and then the guy's set on fire. Holy grail, you're looking at me like, <laughs> saw some bad news. I'm just, I'm intrigued by your face. Never mind, keep going. Uh, the holy grail, it's- You're the holy uh, grail to me, Colin. That's why I'm looking at you funny. <laughs> But the Holy Grail, if the Holy Grail doesn't come alive and wink at the camera, you no. know, it, he drinks from it and then he just morphs. It, it should be about what this object causes, the damage it causes to a person. So Spielberg puts all of the emphasis on these aliens coming to life, which makes no sense with any logic. And I know I'm saying I want some mystery with these things. I don't want you to add another thing that you're questioning. I want you to leave the mystery. 
And so, yeah, this should be like her eyes on fire, like Ghost Rider, you know, and then her head <laughs> exploding or something like that. Up. The face, not I the want face, to know. Not the face. I, I want to know. I want to know. <laughs> I'm Kate Blanchett. Woo! But yeah, were you going to talk about the wedding or anything else? Oh, uh, no, 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 I will, I will. I sort of just, I'll okay. close that. Actually, the, the funny thing, have you ever seen that meme that goes around where it's like a, a photo of somebody's like obviously bumped into like Nicolas Cage and they're like in a supermarket or something like that. And it's like, how lucky is this kid to meet John Travolta? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I just laugh if so many people don't get that joke. I know. <laughs> like, it's just, it's just an ongoing meme because it would just be a random shot of like, oh, how lucky is this kid to meet John Travolta at the beach? And it's just like, Nicolas Cage was a fan at the beach. Like, it's just... So... Um, yeah, so, I mean, yeah, basically I'm with you. Like, this this alien thing is weird. It just it doesn't hold up. Uh, Matt gets, uh, like, he's stealing all the gold, but then he gets taken away because he got to die. Uh, like, yeah, it's kind of... it's you don't really have almost like a little, the escape is just done. And then all of a sudden, as I said earlier, it's the X-Files fight the future ending because here comes the alien ship and they're just like, hmm, aliens exist, eh? And all she wanted was knowledge. Hmm, all right. <laughs> so you want to get married? Like, it's just, it, it's a bit, like, I know that's kind of the trope of Indiana Jones. They kind of like, they escape, right? And then it's kind of just like, a da 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 ha lol. Mm-hmm. We'll see you next time, kids, on howdy doody time. But like, it's just kind of, it's, it's a bit, like, they've literally seen aliens. Like, I know, yeah. like, you could argue they've seen ghosts, they've seen aliens, but, like, technically, Indiana well, they didn't, see didn't see ghosts because they weren't facing yeah. it, so they didn't see that. Temple of Doom, like, sure, he saw voodoo and kind of all that sort of stuff, but that was just, like, in a cave and, I don't know, he was he was fucking taken over by the spirits of half of this. Maybe he doesn't remember it. Like, you could easily explain that away. Last Crusade, like, yeah, okay, he saw, like, an ageless man in the Holy Grail, but I mean, again, it's a it's a bit of a mythical thing. Like this is different beast altogether. Aliens. He's literally seen yeah. them, and he's just like, oh, well, told you. Want to get married? Like, yeah, it's a bit weird. But and yeah, the end of the movie, they get married. Um, mm. and then we sort of get this. And I remember watching this this bit actually, kind of when the the hat falls on the ground and you see Shia LaBeouf oh, yeah. pick it up, like da 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 da, and you're like, oh, they're setting this up for sequels. But then Indy takes it and off they go. I mean, I'm fine with them getting married. It's kind of sweet i guess um sure and we thought that was the ending but apparently it's not um that took me 15 minutes to wrap up the ending (laughs) um uh a couple other things just to add on here things that should have an explanation when they get inside the temple which i I love their, their entry into the temple i think that's the last good part of this movie uh, you know, when they have all the, the natives that are coming towards them and then how did you get inside before Oxley? And he just pulls out the skull and they're like, oh, let him in or whatever. Uh, the, the way that the the thing rises up out of the ground with the sand that they have to like it's solving puzzles is coarse and rough and irritating. Yeah. But it's like this solving puzzles and, and following the clues that just happens very fast throughout the end of this. But then when they get inside and everybody including max sees all these things egyptian culture like macedonian yeah uh this and, is this so, is treasure from every era this is this is yeah what's uh what am i thinking of um uh specter uh no uh, no time to die is this every person from specter <laughs> it is <laughs> but like no explanation as to how this stuff got here yeah. and why it got here you know it these beings came to this one village in peru and this could almost be like mission to mars you know where it's not a good ending to mission to mars but mission to mars kind of explains well these aliens kind of 
gave us their life and then they 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 groomed us prometheus the alien people kind of the same thing oh they kind of groomed us to be whatever they want us to be so they came to this one village they gave them all this knowledge of farming irrigation all the things that indy sees on the wall and then they did what did the aliens visit other places in macedonia and egypt and uh the, they the middle east the aliens yeah, and they said, hey, we brought you a gift. Look, it's like King Tut's crown or something like that. Uh, or did these people from all the other countries come here trying to find it? And then they said, oh, we're, we're going to give you a skull if you give up your armor. Uh, and then you have the Conquistador armor there, which again connects to Oriana, who's the one who took the skull out of here. But then why did they leave it behind? Like This is the thing that has no explanation, that makes no sense. And... These Peruvian natives, whatever they are, whatever country we're supposed to be in at this point, the mystery country, um, is it, it's probably what's that? What's that? Twenty four one wheel? Yemen. It's probably Yemen. We're in Yemen, Yemen. right now. It's, Yemen. <laughs> it, it, it's definitely Yemen. Uh, but but these don't seem like the type of people who are going to allow anybody into their temple, and they're certainly not going to allow them to be trading and bartering. <laughs> so yeah. that's something they added on here because they wanted, I don't know, an extra bit of. Uh, an extra bit of spectacle like oh look at this they've got all this stuff here but then it actually goes against everything we've been told before about this tribe and the aliens and everything else uh it gives you an excuse to have mac be benny from the mummy and this is mm -hmm. where the movie just rips off the mummy the entire ending here becomes the mummy we're locked underground mm. the whole thing's collapsing you got the one greedy guy who won't let go yeah you even have indy's final moment where he's like come on give me your hand mac it'll be all right indy and then he lets go you're just missing him saying goodbye mac the way he <laughs> says goodbye benny uh, uh, i've watched it's, him in so long i need to rewatch the mummy movies uh, it's it's too ripped off um and yeah i'm i would be okay with everything once they get inside you have these skulls but like don't show us an alien being. Don't add yet another thing that's going to have no explanation when you're robbing us of the mystery. And this is where um, the the special effects become another problem, too, because we talked about last week in Last Crusade, the first ever completely CGI transformation that was done in Last Crusade. That looks better it does. <laughs> than 19 years later, the CGI transformation. And that's why some of the CGI doesn't work and won't hold up. And I doubt that there's a lot. And this is also where when you start to show too much, you really lose the audience. This is where less is always more. And that's uh, something that I think it, it, it's sort of been discovered now in horror movies. Because I remember like in the late 90s, early 2000s, you had all these horror movies that were using like over the top CGI and visual effects. And people just started saying no horror movies are scary anymore because you're seeing everything. And it's only scary when you can't see something. And this ending would have been so much more effective if you just see these skulls and you maybe see a light glowing inside of it, which again, how is there's no mind left. They're dead. Yeah. It, 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 none of it makes any sense. You bring them together. They even say they're a hive mind. Okay, if they had a mind left, then that would make sense, but it doesn't. And okay. So there's what, like seven of them sitting around in a circle. So like you've got a room. So like basically if all of them are there, they're just going to merge and fly off. Like, is that so like if all of a sudden yeah. these other ones are just sitting there going, Oh God. Gerald's taking his time. Uh, yeah. <laughs> dinner plans this Saturday. <laughs> like, come on. Can somebody go get the skull, please? We're going to go. Like, hurry up. And, and the, as I already said, the biggest plot hole in this being, the rest of the body's there. The skull was originally there. Somebody just took it from here. Yeah. So how many decades or centuries 
were these skulls all sitting there in the right position to merge to hive mind as dead beings somehow yeah. to go back to their dimension and just decided not to do it. Um, so yeah, you could have cut this off at any point during the visual effects before you get to the aliens. I, I think it would have been most effective to literally show nothing other than it glowing and then just use Kate Blanchett to be your big visual effects gag. Uh, the escape is a little bit too much like the mummy. Uh, I do like when they get out, you know, with with Mutt saying, come on, we got to get going. And it's like, oh, night comes quickly in the jungle. You don't want to be going down in the dark. Goes, Fine, I'm up for it if you are. And then he just said, sit down, kid. <laughs> like he said, oh, Indy, let's get married. Uh, the wedding part, I, I, I think this is, uh, th again, if you're like Last Crusade with him riding off in the sunset. If you know this is the last movie ever, that's the perfect way to end it. And that's, I think, the problem with them always assuming we're never going to have another movie because I think one of the other problems with came the crystal skull is this movie doesn't play out. Like this is going to be the final movie. It plays out like this is another fun Indiana Jones adventure. Mm. And if you're expecting it to be the final movie, you're probably going to be a little bit let down. But if you had had this ending left open where you're like, there'll definitely be another adventure. Then maybe the audience accepts it a little bit more. I mean, it's not like this ending is so conclusive, but you're figuring if we're come full circle from part one where he gets the girl and now he's got the girl again and they're happily married and he's got a son. We know he's got his job back because Jim Broadbent with his uh, thing, assistant Dean now. Uh, I, I love Jim Broadbent too. He's going very C-3PO where he's like, marvelous. <laughs> he's got his name on the door. Wonderful. Wonderful. <laughs> and then he's like, make it bigger. <laughs> oh, he uh, says that to Indy as well. <laughs> <laughs> he definitely did <laughs> him and Marcus Brody. Uh, but uh, yeah, like it, it, you're, you're kind of setting it up like, all right, this is now he's got his job back. It's, it's happily ever after. It's not like Indy's going to ride off into the sunset or anything, but it's sort of towing the line in between. This is a final movie and we might leave it open. The hat thing is I think what leaves it open for the audience. And I can remember seeing that the first time and uh, just not, not minding Mutt. I think Mutt's a good character. I think the fact they don't try to make him like Indy, they make him something completely different. They don't try to make him like Chris Pratt in Jurassic World, where it's like, oh, he's the most amazing, coolest guy ever. It's like, no, he's a flawed character. You're supposed to look down on him. You're supposed to look at He's trying too hard. Indy even says, you're trying too hard to be tough. And that's the perfect way to, to get the audience to accept this character is to have other characters point out, listen, don't try so hard, you know? Uh, but I remember just thinking, don't pick up the hat. Don't pick up the hat. We don't need Indiana Jones Jr. Uh, we just want the series to end. And then when he just sort of grabs the hat, it's almost like he gives like a, hey, hey it's my hat, kid. Uh, it's so good. I love that ending. Uh, I can remember my cousin, who's the massive Indiana Jones fan, who got into archaeology because of Indiana Jones and had that professor who on day one said, you know, uh, if you want whatever, go down the hall. We're not all Indiana Jones here. Uh, I remember her when this movie came out telling me it's like it was OK. And she says, what I liked was I liked that he finally got together with Marion in the end. Mm. And I, I think, again, that's that's something that only really works if this is the last movie, because you don't want Indy to die alone. Right. Uh, you want him to have some happy, you know, uh, some of us do die alone, Colin. Some of us do. Well, there's still time for you. I mean, you and Noah, one of these days, you'll realize neither of you needs to die alone. Yeah. You guys have one of those packs. Like, if both of us are still single by 50, we're going to hook yeah, up. I think I've got, like, two packs with two different people when I get to 40 that I'll get married. So, maybe I'll add Noah a third. You know, maybe, I'll you be, maybe I will be gay by then. So, I'll, I'll take it. The, the, the first two are definitely going to go back on their pact. <laughs> one of them at least wouldn't remember it, so that's fine. <laughs> 
but uh, yeah, like this works as a final movie because I think this is where it might cause a problem. Once we see it, what, in a couple of days, uh, we're going to know whether Marion causes a problem with having another movie or if this is just like, well, babe, I'm off for on another adventure. Hope I don't die. It's, it's see Austin you. Powers too. She's yeah. a fembot. Yeah. <laughs> oh, she was a fembot all along. Yes, she was. We, she, sadly, she, we knew all along. <laughs> she was an interdimensional being all along. <laughs> I mean, they've got to address it. Surely they've got to address oh, it. Oh yeah. There's no way you can't. But uh, but that that is kind of a problem though. If if this is not the final movie, like if it's a final movie, it's perfect. And this was uh, the idea that um, George Lucas had originally before they had settled on everything that we see in this movie. Just like Steven Spielberg said with Last Crusade, he wanted to explore the idea of like India and his father. It was George Lucas' idea not only to add the child in there, but he wanted to see Indy as a married man. And I I think that's the the, uh, original idea that was rumored was that they were going to bring Willie back from Temple of Doom because Spielberg, you know, obviously she's available. His wife, she's available. Yes. Uh, I mean, either could have worked, but I mean, George Lucas had wanted this to be the adventure starts and Indy, whether it's Marion or somebody else, Indy's married and he has that, like you said, 13 year old child in this movie or whatever it is. And it would have been like, what is the life of a family man like? And I think that would have been something interesting to do. Maybe and that's where they go in the next movie. Like it, he, now he does have a wife and it's a little bit harder for him just to go off on these adventures, but we won't know for a couple of days, but still, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's a good ending to kind of make you forget about the bad ending you just saw with the aliens. Is Phoebe Waller-Bridge meant to be his daughter in Dial of Destiny? His, well, they say his goddaughter. Cause they even say your father, uh, he, when he, that line where he says, I've been tortured by voodoo. I've been shot nine times, including once by your father. Uh, I think that it's actually, what's, is it Toby Jones? The, um, mm. I don't want to call him little guy. I just, I just did anyways. <laughs> the weird looking uh, dude. He's a weird looking fucker. <laughs> Come on. But I, yeah, he's in the movie. I don't know if he's supposed to be her father, but yeah, he says it's his goddaughter in the movie. So this is, the daughter of some good friend of his. Well, we, we know by the end of it, she's going to be wearing the hat and they're going to be trying to set a female Indiana Jones franchise. <laughs> so we know it's going to happen. Well, let's be honest. That's where the, the direction they'll go with it. Um, the It's really interesting reading the reception of this uh, because... It yeah, was good. It was fairly good um, mm. at the time, but I think it just, it was, again, it was a, it was a phantom menace. It was a specter. Like it, it kind of give it, give it six to 12 months and everybody hated it. Like it was just kind yeah. of like, oh no, this is shit actually. Um, but it, I mean, it got 77% on Rotten Tomatoes, so still not bad. I mean, it was, at the time of recording this, Dial of Destiny is still sitting at about 50-something percent. So, um, you know, this is still, I think, the lowest uh, of all of the four of them. Um, but the critical consensus says, through uh, though the plot elements and are certainly familiar, Indiana Jones, The Kingdom of Crystal Skull, still delivers the thrills, and Harrison Ford returns in the title role is more than welcome. Um, it went on a lot of best of and worst of lists of 2008, got nominated for Razzies, uh, didn't get nominated for Oscars though. Um, Roger Ebert gave it three, uh, three and a half stars out of four. Uh, the same rating he gave Last Crusade, finding it same old, same old, but what I want it to be. Excuse me. Um, (laughs) a lover of Pulp Fiction. What I want is goofy, goofy, not a goofy reference again. (laughs) Lots of it. I want man eating ants, swordfish between two, swordfish, sword fights. That's a good movie. When are we doing swordfish? Sword fights oh, between yeah. two people balanced on the beach. When's, what? That'd be an end. 2001, wasn't that? So we've missed the anniversary for that. Mm-hmm. 25th anniversary, 2026, maybe. Maybe um, Hugh Jackman or Josh Voltamon. 
Oh, yeah? That, that would be fun. Um, Leonard Martin gave it three and a half out of four. Uh, more than he gave Temple of Doom and Last Crusade and said Indy returns with the same brand of high adventure that marked the original Raiders of Lost Ark. Um, so there's a few ones there. There's obviously some negative reviews along the way. I do love the international reaction. The Communist Party of the Russian Federation called for a ban of the film, accusing the production team of demonizing the Soviet Union. Well, the Soviet Union doesn't exist anymore. Um, yeah. Communist Party of Russian like, Federation. If, if the democratic German people are going to be like, oh, they demonized the Nazis. I love when Spielberg replied with, when we decided the fourth installment would take place in 1950, he said, we had no choice but to make the Russians the enemies. Yeah. I found out they were evil. Um, apparently, <laughs> Peru also criticized... Um, also the depiction of Peru received criticism from the Peruvian and Mexican public. This film got sued in 2012 by the Institute of Archaeology of Belize. Uh, because apparently they stole the Mitchell Hedges skull's likeness for the film, uh, and actually they didn't though. They, they even they even say maybe that's why they have that line in the movie. It's nothing like the Mitchell Hedges skull. Uh, the one thing here that I actually remember uh, the South. Do you remember the South Park episode uh, that came after no. this? Uh, so reading this, it, it ticked my memory. So basically, uh, the characters in so like the kids uh, tried to sue. Uh, well, they filed a police report against George Lucas and Steven Spielberg for raping Indiana Jones because <laughs> they hated the movie so much. Uh, I do remember that episode. Um, and apparently Shia LaBeouf in 2010 at the Cannes Film Festival said that he had dropped the ball on the legacy that people loved and cherished and felt that the movie could have been updated. We just misinterpreted what we were trying to satiate. Um, and then Harrison Ford apparently <laughs> replied in 2011, I think I told LaBeouf that he was a fucking idiot. As an actor, <laughs> I think it's my obligation to support the film without making a complete ass of myself. Shy is ambitious, <laughs> attentive and talented, and he's learning how to deal with the situation is very unique. LaBeouf later said that he regretted his comments and the effect of his relationship with Spielberg. He told me there's a time to be a human being a human being and have an opinion and there's a time to sell cars. It brought me freedom, but it also killed my spirits because I was a dude. I looked up like to like a sensei. So Harrison Ford is a fucking idiot. It, oh. Do you, I don't know if you, I'll just read this one. Sean Connery's review of the movie because oh. he eventually saw it and commented. Didn't know. Uh, he, he basically said, this is quoting Doing him. his voice. It was, uh, it is rather good, but also <laughs> rather long. <laughs> This movie's like not, I think it's like two hours and two minutes. Yeah, two hours and yeah, two minutes. Length rather is, long. I think all the other ones are about an hour 58, hour 59. Like, yeah, except for the in, new one. Back in my day, how long is the new one? Like four hours, probably? I think it's like two and a half. No, oh, for fuck's sake. Uh, that just, uh, that's, I, I like the fact that Connery gave a comment on it because that just reminds you <laughs> of like, you know, the sadness that we never get with Roger Every time a new James Bond movie, Roger will be like, I quite enjoyed Spectre. It was enjoyable. Yeah. It was the best Bond movie ever. Yeah. <laughs> you never heard Sean Connery. Are we going to get Daniel Craig? Like, you know, Bond, <laughs> Bond 26 comes out. Oh, Daniel Craig, what did you think of Idris Elba? Oh, I'd rather slip my wrist than one. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, as I said, it got nominated for a couple of Razzies. It actually won the worst prequel, remake, ripoff, or sequel for that year. What did it beat? Uh, there in had to be worse. Um, 
And not, not, it's, it's not a bad movie, but the third Mummy movie was out the same year, and this is certainly better than that. Uh, it beat The Day the Earth Stood Still. The, I remember seeing that in the movies. That wasn't too bad. Um, you covered that with Jamie, didn't you? Yeah, we did. I it's, it's not, not it, a fan. It's bad. Uh, I haven't seen <laughs> well, it since it the movie. Well, it starts okay. Who's the, isn't, is that Jennifer Connelly in that movie? Yeah, and, and Keanu. Keanu. Isn't there somebody else famous in that movie? Uh, John Hamm's in it. John Hamm, yeah, of course, that man. Jaden uh, uh, Smith? Sure. Uh, disaster movie Speed Racer and Star Wars The Clone Wars uh, were also nominated in that category. Um, it was the only one it was nominated for, though. It also uh, it did win Best Costume Design at the Saturn Awards. So, um, good job. Uh, I guess for we... the same jacket that he's been using <laughs> for forty years. Uh, we'll go over user. I guess let's just do plot keywords first because I've got it open here in front of me. So, um, so we always do the top and the bottom. So, top is Crystal Skull. Um, which I mean, what other Crystal Skull movies would there be? Um, there's a lot here. If I'm going to go all the way down to the very bottom, I don't know how long this is going to take because there is a lot. If I click all, that would be the easiest way of doing it. Uh, character name in title is the bottom. Um, but other than that, there's colon in title month. Okay, I'm down for that. <laughs> Featuring Spider-Man across the Spider-Verse, Avatar, the way of water, Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse, <laughs> and John Wick, chapter four. Um, Indiana Jones character month. Mannequin month. <laughs> Journey shown on map month. Um, if, yeah, these are pretty boring. A bazooka month. Let's go with bazooka <laughs> month. Why not? Uh, featuring Fast X, Fubar, Transformers, and Transformers: The Last Night. Is there a new Transformers movie out at the moment? There is. Yeah, and it's actually pretty good. Oh, you've seen it, have you? Yeah. Oh, I've I've only ever seen like the first Transformers. That was Shia LaBeouf. Um, <laughs> all right, last one. Ups, unsubtitled foreign language month. Uh, featuring Outlander, Raiders of the Lost Ark, Spider-Man No Way Home, and Titanic. <laughs> I, oh, I guess the Finnish people at the beginning when the Sven or whatever, I guess they're not really uh, talking. Uh, user reviews. I guess we're going to go for positive ones for this one, aren't we? Ten-star yeah. reviews. Uh, mm-hmm. that, that makes sense. Um, Indiana Jones and the Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Indy did it again. Um, a classic hero returns. Fantastic, old fashioned, ad fashion. I can't speak properly all of a sudden. Adventure movie. Uh, great film. Uh, very indie. The man with the hat. <laughs> I see what? that one. Uh, why would I give this ten? I guess. Oh, let's read this one. Tim John Mead. I guess being some nineteen years odd in the waiting, if not the making, this was a movie bound to be a letdown. Yet somehow, despite this, and being a fourth movie in a series, it wasn't. Yes, some of the acting was sketchy, and perhaps, for better or for worse, played with sheer joy of revisiting a role rather than a tight grip on a character. I'm thinking Karen Allen here. But you know what? Her performance worked. All the performances worked. Some were better than others, but the characters worked. The adventure is kind of boring one, isn't it? Um, no, the, this, this man with the hat one has some interesting things in here, though. Uh, the, the story was just as the other indie films, one and three Christianity, two dark religion, four Scientology. (laughs) This film is probably about Scientology apparently, but this is the best part. The action was good. Sometimes, sometimes (laughs) referring to the beginning, the story isn't clear and fine. 
Other times, referring to the whole jungle chase, the story is exciting as the first film. This film could have been better, but he is enjoyable. <laughs> it could have been better, but you gave it 10 out of 10. That, that You can't get better than that. I like this headline. People are never satisfied no matter what. Be your own judge. Don't let someone tell you what to see based on their opinion. Unless you're listening to the Oz Network. Yeah. <laughs> uh, love it. Indy's back and good as ever. Childhood Revisited. Indiana Jones. Big deal. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I love this one. Better than I expected. This comment may contain spoilers. May? <laughs> like you don't know? Uh, Indiana Jones. Serious business. That sounds like a sequel, Indiana Jones. <laughs> and the serious business. Oh, this one. Yeah. Smiley face. <laughs> Um, anyway, box office, uh, this did all right. 317,101,119 domestically, 473,552,823 internationally. So near close 800 million worldwide. And this was back in a period where, you know, close to a billion dollars was a big deal. Like nowadays, movies always yeah. make a billion dollars. Well, back then. This is the same year that The Dark Knight became only the second movie ever to hit a billion. Yeah, so this ended up being the third highest grossing film of the year. It only finished, like, what, 10 million behind Iron Man, which was a big surprise, Iron Man. Yeah. I, I don't think many people predicted that to be that big. Dark Knight, as you said, number one. Hancock was number four. I always That's forget about weird. Hancock. I, I mean, I jumped on the train. I think I saw Hancock opening day, but... As with everybody who has seen Hancock, it started off great, but then just mm. went down a shitstorm. Like, what the hell was that ending? Uh, Wally, number five, Kung Fu Panda, Madis- Madagascar, Escape to Africa, Twilight, Quantum of Solace, only ninth, and Horton, here's a who, tenth, followed by Sex in the City and Mamma Mia. Oh, there we go. <laughs> uh, but the opening weekend, so this opened up with $100 million. Also, that opening that weekend, I should go, what else on opening? Uh, the Children of Huang Shi. War Inc., The Edge of Heaven, A Jihad for Love. Ooh. Um, I do hear there's an Australian movie that was at the cinemas that weekend in the States, Bra Boys. That was quite popular in Australia. Um, and also the top movies that week. So Chronicles of Narnia, Prince Caspian was in its second week. Iron Man was in its fourth week. What Happens in Vegas? I like that movie. Third week, Speed Racer. Matthew Fox was in that movie, wasn't he? Uh, in its third week, Maid of Honor. I like that movie too. Fourth week. <laughs> Uh, forgetting Sarah Marshall, like a lot, lot of good like rom coms at the cinema that weekend. Uh, do you like forgetting Sarah Marshall? Uh, I, you know, I barely remember that one. The, the the second one that was more a spin off was Get Him to the Greek. I like that one better. I had not seen that one, but um, I kind of like I went through a Judd Apatow phase where I watched a bunch, and um, I think I watched Forgetting Sarah Marshall on a plane trip recently, and it's enjoyable. It's a it's a it's a good movie. I like it. Uh, the the bit when um Jason Segel's doing the vampire puppets. Quite funny if you, if you remember. I don't. That. I barely remember that movie. Um, anything else to add on keywords or reviews or uh, box office? No, or? I mean box office. Like it's, it's. I think it was only the second, or there was only two movies that entire year that opened a hundred million dollars. So I mean, it was, it was still huge. And and I don't know how it held up week after week, but I mean, for it to be the third highest grossing film of the year, we say this with so many movies where people are like, oh, everybody hates that movie. You can't make that much money without repeat business. It's mm. impossible. Yeah. So there were a lot of people that still love this movie, despite the fact that it's the era where if people say they don't like it on the internet, everybody thinks they have to not like it too. And we should also mention that it is the highest grossing of the franchise. Uh, so yeah. it made uh, about $80 million more than Raiders did. And uh, yeah, a lot more than... Although I'm sure with adjusted grosses, it's probably behind... 
at least a couple of the originals. And also we should, I, li- I like this uh, here. See the budget of Raiders, 18 million. The budgets of Temple of Doom, 28 million. Last Crusade, 48 million. Crystal Skull, 185 million. Well, <laughs> and, and I mean, that was something that I know Spielberg had said he had debated about actually shooting this movie with the same type of technology that would happen. We're not going to go CGI. We're going to do this movie cheap and low budget. And they decided against it. And I'm not saying that they should have gone cheap and low budget like the original movies, but I think that it would have been interesting to see a movie like that. And I don't think Dial of Destiny is going the same route either, but that that would be kind of be fun to have an Indiana Jones movie that goes a little bit lower budgeted. Well, yeah, I think, I think it would work because I mean, they're like the B movie feel of them and stuff. Um, And just, I will correct myself. This is not the lowest on Rotten Tomatoes, the second lowest. This is 1% higher than Temple of Doom. This is 77%. Temple of Doom is on 76%, which, I mean, I guess in a moment we're going to find out what you like better. But, um, I mean, I'm still buying this film. It's mm-hmm. it's not, not enjoyable. Like, it's you put it on, it's it goes by very quickly. As I keep saying, it's one elongated action sequence. And, yeah, there's there's issues with it. But the shit that people complain about, like, just get over it. Like, I mean... He survives a nuclear bomb in a fridge. There's a monkey in a vine scene. There's some gophers. Like, yeah, okay, the alien bit's a bit odd right at the end, but who gives a fuck about aliens? Like, it's just, they're in it for, like, one scene, really. Like, I mean, again, if you're okay with ghosts and you're okay with voodoo and you're okay with, like, 700-year-old men living in a cavern that's completely normal, then you should be fine with aliens. Like, get over it. Like, it's, it's still an enjoyable film. I think the aliens, I don't know if it has something to do with the fact that it's 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 not really an archaeologist thing. Like, why is Indy investigating aliens? But again, he doesn't find out they're aliens till the end. Like the the hatred of this because it's aliens, if if you really are opposed to that in Indiana Jones, fine. But the other things you mentioned to complain about, nuking a fridge, gophers, the gophers especially, it's like that's two seconds of the movie. And it's a background thing. Uh, and uh, even the, the the vine swinging. You add all that up and you probably don't even have 30 seconds of film in two hours and two minutes, which is rather long. But uh, <laughs> 30 seconds is nothing. Like if, if you're going to hate a movie for the most insignificant things in it, then you're an idiot. <laughs> yeah. uh, th- this is a fun movie. It's not Raiders. It's not Last Crusade. It's basically Temple of Doom. And Temple of Doom... Kind of gets a free pass now. People are like, it's still fun. It's something we grew up on. I, I would love to see if we're 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 kind of which only within the last couple of years gotten the point where those who grew up on the prequels are like, you guys got to shut up ba- bashing the prequels. Like these are good movies. And Thanks now to us, like, Colin, we oh, did that. It's ours. Yeah. yeah. But uh, now even the people who spent twenty years criticizing those are like, oh, people do like these. I guess I can like them too. Oh. And we're probably a few years away from that from King of the Crystal Skull. I thought you were about to say uh, we're a few but, years away that from the sequels. No. Oh no, I, I don't know if we'll get there with the sequels. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I mean, if Dial of Destiny's worse, then that might improve the reputation of this. This is not a bad movie. It's a fun movie. It's just not the greatest Indiana Jones movie ever. They can't all be the greatest movie ever. But yeah, I'm I'm buying it too. I mean, I'm, for for rankings, you want to do yours first or? Yeah, look, I... I'm more curious about yours. Yeah, look, I mean, my the way I went into this, obviously, what, Last Crusade was one, Temple of Doom, two, Raiders, three. Um, I can't put this above Raiders. Like, I, I'm, I'm, yeah. I can't. Because, like, I mean, I feel bad that Raiders is third. Like, I mean, it's, to me, all three are on par with each other. You know, I just enjoy Temple of Doom. I think it's it's a blast. And it was the one I remember watching the most as a kid, as I said. Um, But, I mean, I think kind of they're all very interchangeable but like 
this is below Raiders, but it's still a buy from me. So, mm. yeah, look, I think that it's fourth, um, but it's not like a far fourth. It's not like Raiders is like here and this is here. This is, you, you know, like if you gave it a points out of 10, like Temple of Doom is probably like a seven, uh, you know, Last Crusade's an eight, Raiders is a 6.5, and this is maybe a five. That's, you know, that's a weird way of doing it, but this isn't that far behind the other three for me, but it's not on par with the other three, but still good. See, I, I love all these movies. and I, I would go as far as I'm going to say it, on a scale of, you know, one to 10, Last Crusade, which is my number one, is a 10. Raiders, which is my number two, is a 10. <laughs> and then Temple of Doom and King of the Crystal Skull, I'd put it like a nine to a 9.5, you know? Like th- there's, there's minor issues with them, but I've always kind of maintained that Temple of Doom and King of the Crystal Skull suffer from the same issues. And there's really no difference between them unless you just have more nostalgia for one than the other. Uh, I, I, For a while, I actually kind of held the position that I thought Temple of Doom was a weaker movie than King of the Crystal Skull. I think the issues that nobody wants to talk about King of the Crystal Skull with, the, the plot issues, the fact that they just throw way too many things in here instead of just picking one or two interesting historical ideas and focusing on it is the biggest issue. So in the end, I will put Temple of Doom higher than this, but it'll be only like slightly higher. You know, I I think that Temple of Doom's ending is a little bit easier to take. I think that it has less plot issues, partly because it has no plot whatsoever. Mm. Um, But uh, these movies are all pretty close to me. So I I didn't want to have to come in here and be like, King of the Crystal Skull, definitely last place, but it's barely last place, you know? So our rankings are exactly the same, except you have Raiders second and I've got yeah. third. So I, we just have Raiders and Temple of the Doom around the other way, essentially. Mm-hmm. There you go. Look at that. We're, we're smart cookies. Um, which, I mean, look, we'll do obviously a review of... So you've got your tickets, you said? Yeah, got mine. Opening day IMAX. Oh. Um, I'm excited. Uh, I... I actually watched um, Disney Plus has like a five minute sneak peek of this, which is ha- I'd say more than half of that is just some behind the scenes clips. And then they have one sequence, which is like a, a um, I don't know, like a taxi chase or something like that through the streets of some city. It's got Phoebe Waller Bridge in there. It's got uh, Indy there. It's very much like the mine car or the jungle chase. People getting pulled back and forth. It looked good. I mean, the director of the new one, James Mangold, I mean, this is the guy who did uh, Logan, which is considered one of the best superhero movies of all time. Uh, He's done a ton of great movies. 310 to Yuma, a Russell Crowe, Christian Bale movie I love. Uh, So they got a good director. I don't know how good the movie's going to end up being, but I'm actually kind of glad that it's getting some bad reviews because lately it seems like movies or bad reviews are the ones that turn out to be pretty decent. (laughs) Uh, And... uh, also, you can go in, I guess, with a bit of lower expectations, uh, not expecting this to be the greatest Indiana Jones movie ever. Maybe you can come out pleasantly surprised. Well, you mentioned the IMAX. I realize now I live in a big city. So um, Sydney apparently Ooh. had an IMAX. Apparently it was the world's biggest screen. Uh, but it closed in 2016. But apparently they're rebuilding it and it's set to open at the end of this year and where it will be one of the world's biggest screens. So not the biggest anymore. But uh, I don't have an IMAX here either. But uh, apparently it opens here on the 28th, not the 30th. So, um... Oh, I, I got the 29th, so oh, okay. you're going to see it before me? Yeah, I, just, I saw the ad for it earlier on TV saying, uh, get your tickets now, opens uh, the 28th of June. So, um, maybe. I will see how we go. But, uh, yeah, I, I the trailers were enjoyable. I think, as I said, like the one I saw before The Flash, I'm like, oh, India, uh, Harrison did a new... Uh, 
comedy. And like, because I didn't realize, oh, this is Indiana Jones. Okay. Like, it's just, <laughs> yeah. The way they advertised it at the beginning, he's like, I'm retired. And I'm like, oh, you old scallywag Harrison, what are you up to now? And it's like, duh, 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 duh. And I'm like, oh, okay. So, um, yeah, I, I reckon I'll go see it quite early. So, uh, and you know, I just looked at the screenwriters. We got uh, two of the screenwriters from the James Bond movies, the Butterworth brothers, along with David Kep, who oh, wrote Kingdom of Crystal Skulls. Park. So, yeah, and Jurassic Park. Which, uh, a few big weeks, really, when we've got the movies. I mean, I don't know if you're going to do a review of Transformers, but go for your life. Um, <laughs> we've obviously got Mission Impossible a couple of weeks away, which you'll uh, have uh, the best of ones to put up, which I'm, I'm looking forward to revisiting those. I, I won't have time to rewatch the the five six seven however many mission impossibles there are but i might watch some recaps on youtube um and barbie i think we've mentioned a few times but actually the one i think we keep forgetting about is the christopher nolan one right the oppenheimer yeah which can i just say like you know i i get it when a movie gets promoted as like you know steven spielberg's latest film or whatever like but i do particularly love the marketing now for this film where it's never just oppenheimer it's christopher nolan's Mm-hmm. Oh, but like, it's just like, Jesus, does this guy have tickets on himself or is it just like they have to like <laughs> put his name before it? I actually think that's smart because uh, I, I don't even remember what episode we were, well, it was back in Raiders. We were talking about like what directors or filmmaker names mm. are big enough to sell a movie. And we're like, well, Quentin Tarantino and he yeah. kind of does that. And like Christopher Nolan's probably another one. So I mean, his name is probably going to be the thing that sells this movie. But I feel that's um, the name of the movie. I feel it's not just Oppenheimer. Yeah, it's Christopher, Christopher Nolan's. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, that's He's the, the man that responsible for the nuclear bomb. <laughs> Which it look like, I mean, I'm intrigued to see it because I like the subject matter, but I'm just so line ball about Christopher Nolan because I like his films. But like, I mean, Tenet was just like a... Uh, oh, yeah. Was, uh, I mean, Dunkirk was great. Um, yeah. but then it's just like, I don't know, like, I don't know if I want to, that's just a wait to watch it when it's a released movie or will I pay to go see it in a movie? I don't know. What well, are you going to do with it? I mean, this thing has been promoted for the last, uh, talk about great promotion. Yeah. Uh, when the first trailer came out a year ago and every single time you see the trailer, I don't think they're doing it now, but for the last year, anytime you saw the trailer, the trailer would end with an actual down to the minute countdown of the movie, which was yeah. a really cool idea. Yeah. Uh, and the fact that this is like, a big IMAX movie they filmed it with IMAX cameras. You don't get a lot. It looks like a lot of characters talking, but like you're going to see nuclear bombs with IMAX cameras and stuff like that. Well, you will. They probably actually set off a real uh, nuke to do it. That's Christopher Nolan style. But see, I, I'm see, six- you can do, you know, bombs are bad, Christopher. Yeah. <laughs> they kill people. Spielberg's input into Oppenheimer. But I'm just most excited because uh, Killian Murphy's getting mm-hmm. his first. I mean, he starred in other movies, but he's always Christopher Nolan's go-to supporting guy. And now he's got the lead role in a movie and he's one of my favorite actors. So yeah, I never, go Killian Murphy for the Oscar. I never ever forget when I saw Batman begins with my friend and she was so in love with him. And I just thought he was the weirdest looking dude. I'm like, yeah, a really? lot of women love him. Yeah. I'm like, really? Like I don't dislike him. I think he's a great actor and he seems like a nice guy, but like, Again, I don't float that way, but I can still tell an attractive man. I'm staring at Colin. He's a beautiful man. But, like, I just, I look at him and think, like, he's a bit odd look. It's like Toby Jones. Like, I'm sure he's a nice guy. He's a good actor. But, like, really? Like, you know? I think yeah, if, if women. If Jamie's we, opinion on him. Well, if women find Killian Murphy attractive, I think I've got a chance with women. Um, <laughs> You're up there with Killian Murphy, right? I'm just saying. Did you ever see the movie Red Eye that he yeah, made with Rachel not McAdams? A, not a fan. Oh, I love that movie. Absolutely love that movie. I remember watching uh, it I, and being that one, he's excited. got a little bit more of the, 
He's got more of the swagger in that movie. I that see that. movie yeah. reminded me of a movie I used to love as a kid, which probably no one remembers, Turbul- Turbulence, with Ray Liotta oh, yeah, and Lauren Holly. <laughs> um, I, I had a weird fetish at one point for, like, plane movies, and I was just like, that. And then I think they made about three different Turbulence movies. Yeah. Um, but I just, I loved, like, like, and that really got me into Ray Liotta. So then when he did the voice of Tommy Vercetti in Vice City in Grand Theft Auto, I was like, fuck, it's, it's the guy from Turbulence. And, of course, I was a big Dumb and Dumber fan, so Lauren Holly, and I think she was still with Jim Carrey at the time. So it was kind of mm. like there's all these connections. That was a great movie. Yeah. Red, Red Eye, yeah, I, I just thought I, it was a bit like, eh. Nah, I love Red Eye. But anyways, Red Eye, I'm sure, will be coming soon to the Oz Network. Yes, exactly. Um, Stay tuned for 24 all that obviously I've alluded to in this episode and other episodes. We've got a Nip Tuck 20th anniversary, uh, hopefully reunion plan, but also mixed with uh, some sort of episode that Nick and I at least will come together and do something with that. And uh, with this month closing, uh, obviously uh, with June, we've got an extra week next week, so we'll have a week off next week. But then we're getting into anniversary month. It was meant to happen a couple of months ago, but it didn't. So we're finally getting into it. So we start off with American Graffiti, a film that I have never seen in my life. Uh, was going straight back into Harrison, uh, and then three movies that were in my top 50 movies of all time list. So it's the Ben Waterworth special. Mm-hmm. We're doing Mrs. Doubtfire. We're doing the Truman show and we're doing rush. And, uh, I get to talk about formula one. So uh, I believe that was my number one movie also from the 2010s on my list, if I'm not mistaken. So, um, any thoughts on those? I know we kind of did this a few months ago, but, uh, you know, <laughs> we didn't do it. So, uh, any quick thoughts on those? I mean, American Graffiti, I'm really excited for because that made my top 50 favorite films of all time. I mean, it's it's the the first big George Lucas movie, only a second movie ever made. Uh, and through a lot of the other stuff we've covered, uh, you'll you'll see where George Lucas kind of got the idea from, you know, the 50s cafe in Star Wars, even the, the teenagers racing in this. It's very American Graffiti like and you'll get lots of cars. I mean, as, as somebody who likes racing in cars, th- this movie climaxes with a road race scene and uh it's pretty spectacular it's a pod race yeah (laughs) so you'll actually see a lot of george even though it's like the most un-george lucas thing for people who are thinking indie and star wars willow george lucas uh you're gonna see a lot of george lucas even in this movie and the the cast i mean richard dreyfus's film debut and ron howard's adult Film the de- adult film debut, yes. Oh, <laughs> first, finally, first <laughs> Ron Jeremy, uh, <laughs> a huge cast in this movie, and and the other ones like I absolutely love the Truman Show. Oh. Um, Rush uh, is one that I saw once and thought that was okay, but then I, I've always kind of wondered like all these people who because I think I hadn't really heard a lot of the critical acclaim it had when I saw the movie, but in the years since where people keep talking about this movie still holds up as one of the best of the decade. Like maybe I gotta revisit this one. What was our what was our fourth one? Mrs. Doubtfire. Oh yeah, Mrs. Doubtfire. Pierce Brosnan. Oh, amazing. <laughs> Run by fruiting. Which uh, again, the rush will be exciting for me to talk Formula One on this episode. It's been a while since the qualifying lap ended. So um and <laughs> particularly now that Formula One is like the hottest thing ever. Uh, you know, with Will Arnett hosting Formula One shows now, it's kind of uh it's a it's a big deal, and I'm sure a lot of people uh, will revisit Rush because it's it is a true story and a very famous Formula One story. So uh, very excited to talk about that. Uh, like, subscribe, do all the regular things, listen to our other shows and and stuff, and send Colin abuse. Not Colin Noah. Send Noah abuse on. <laughs> is it Colin's a nice guy? Send Noah abuse on Instagram. <laughs> At Noah Groves, I think so. Um, <laughs> we don't know if he listens. He's not going to get any. Uh, my name is Ben and. What are you looking at, Daddy-O? 
And my name is Colin, and you know that Noah Groves from the Oz Network? He's bad! Thanks for downloading this episode of the Oz Network. Make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing to the podcast via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or by copying our RSS feed into your preferred podcast provider. And while you're there, please drop us a rating and leave us some feedback. You can also be sure to stay up to date with all the latest episodes and happenings from the show, as well as finding out how you can get involved in upcoming episodes by following our social media pages on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, as well as getting everything you need under one roof at theoznetwork.net. Thanks again for listening, and we'll speak to you next time. like exclusive stuff? Yes, sir. Do you like having access to your favourite podcast hosts in a way like never before? Yeah, absolutely. Do you wish you had access to our old Survivor Oz episodes that you can't find anywhere else online? Oh, yeah! If you answered yes to one, two or all of those questions, then get excited because the Oz Network is now on Patreon! That's right, your favourite podcast has jumped on the Patreon bandwagon to enable a better listening experience for you, our listener. For more details, simply head to www.patreon.com forward slash oznetwork where you can sign up for as little as $3 a month. It'll be the best decision you make since that last bad one you made. (laughs)